Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Filmcast, a podcast about movies. I am David Chen, and I'm currently suspended above your bathtub, slowly dripping sweat onto you. <laughs> Joining me today is Devinder Hardwar. I tell you to turn down the podcast, and you turn it up! <laughs> <laughs> and Jeff Kanata. Finally, a movie that says, Happy Mother's Day! Aww. Indeed, indeed. Well, those are, of course, all vague and oblique references to the fact that today on the podcast, we're going to be reviewing Bo is Afraid. This, You know, Steven Soderbergh used to have this philosophy of uh, doing movies like one for one for us, one for them, you know, like uh, he'd make an Oceans movie and right, then he'd make right, uh, right. like Bubble or some weird ass shit like that. Yeah. Um, this is the uh, this is the one for us, you know. Like, no, no, no very few people have seen Bo is Afraid, mm -hmm. but it is a movie that's worthy of discussing, yeah, and certainly something that many fans have requested as well. You, so, you were saying that in relation um, to us and not to Ari Aster, because I feel like all of his movies are just for him, he's just making his <laughs> movies all the time. Fair enough. Yeah, I fair just want to give a quick shout out to both of the people that downloaded this week's episode. <laughs> mm -hmm. Thank you so much. So you much. guys are awesome. Yeah, you guys are awesome. Yeah. Uh, anyway, you can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com and find us on uh, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter at the Filmcast Pod. Find us on TikTok at the Filmcast. We're sharing new video clips every single week. Uh, all right. Today on the podcast, we got uh, some emails to respond to. We got a little bit of film related adjacent news to discuss. We got a lot of what we've been watching, some great stuff to discuss there, and then some weekly plugs before we cover uh, Bo is Afraid right here on the Filmcast. So let's get into it. Now, the first thing I want to mention is something that just both delighted me and sent fear into my heart. Uh, we, we recently received a uh, message from uh, a certain Jermaine Lucier, a frequent participant here on the Filmcast Summer Movie Wager. Indicating that uh, he had mentioned uh, he he had he was interviewing Louis Leterrier, who uh, is the director of Fast X, which comes out next week, is going to be our main review. Next I, week. I have to right? I have to stop you real quick and correct you yeah. because uh, I am uh, I am seeing that movie tonight, and mm -hmm. I uh, was invited by you know the uh, the PR company uh, yes. to see that movie, and in the invitation. <laughs> There is a line that specifically says the pronunciation of this film is intended to be Fast 10. Fast 10. Oh, all right. It is not, not Fast X. This is an iPhone 10 situation. And how everybody. dare you? I'm sorry, Jeff. I'm, you know, I, I, honestly, Jeff, I learned it from you mm -hmm. because you were the one that said Fast X yeah. during the summer movie wager and it just stuck. Take, so take I, was I, a, you, Jeff. I was yeah. making I a laxative you, joke at the time, David. I learned it from you, Jeff. Okay, anyway. Uh, so Louis Leterre, director of Fast 10, uh, Jermaine ha was saying he had mentioned it, uh, mentioned to Louis Leterrier that uh, he liked Dark Crystal, Age of Resistance. That's good. And, and Louis Leterrier had responded, yes, I heard you talking about it on the film cast. Oh, boy. Wait, that's us. That's us. Is it? Is it? <laughs> I hope so. Well, I literally did not believe that anyone of even moderate note would listen to the podcast. So I asked Jermaine to authenticate this news. I like I texted him. I was like, is this actually true? I think he just insulted our audience. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and so Jermaine provided Only me. Only losers listen to this show. <laughs> Jermaine provided me uh, the Q&A, and here, here I'm going to read the Q&A from you. Okay? So, <laughs> so before I read this q and I just uh -huh. want you to know 
that uh, this is a very small part of the interview. So this does not represent Jermaine's questioning style yeah. or the interview as a whole. This okay? is what the entire interview is about, actually. Okay, yeah. all right. So here's yeah. here's the question from Jermaine. <laughs> Quote, we loved Dark Crystal Age of Resistance so, so much. I think it's a Stone Cold masterpiece. Did you know how good it was when you guys were making it? I know how big of an endeavor it was. It just turned out so brilliant, and I loved it so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, to which Louis Leterrier responds, you're very sweet. And I heard you the other day on the Slash Film podcast with the boys. And, oh, I, heard you, and I heard you say that, and you were very kind. Uh, Jermaine is so amazing. Thank you. End quote. Uh, I, uh, so that is an actual thing that Louis Leterrier said. So, so Jermaine with the, your show is awesome, how awesome is your show question is pretty good. <laughs> well, no, no, you, you start with that, Jeff. Like you, oh, you yeah, yeah, soften them soften yeah. up. Soften them up a yeah. little bit. Uh, but yeah, yeah I, so let me just then you, also... You just follow it right up with, how do you pronounce your movie's title? And then... <laughs> I want to mention that you should go check out Jermaine's whole interview, which is at io 90 Gizmodo. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll link to it in the show notes. Uh, it's worth checking out. But uh, what's also remarkable is I think Jermaine doesn't really make those comments about Dark Crystal Age of Resistance until about an hour and 20 minutes into that episode. Yeah. So um, you were saying yeah. he got deep. He got, he got deep into the... My, regular my, listener my, over my here. Wife and I, my wife and I were trying to figure out in our headcanon, like, what actually, like, <laughs> uh, what actually happened, right? So uh, we, we, don't, we don't actually believe Louis Leterrier spends his post-production time during Fast 10. You don't know. Li- listening to the entirety of the film cast. So uh, probably a friend, uh, perhaps an assistant, was like, hey, you got to listen to these guys talk about how awesome Dark Crystal Age of Resistance is. Let me cue it up for you, Louis. Uh, but who knows? Yeah, that's probably what happened. But who knows? That's what they always do. We've been scouring the internet for obscure podcast references to you. Louis, that's Louis what we found, Louis. Louis, you look down today. You you look down today. Check out this portion of this filmcast podcast. The thing is, like, uh, you know, the idea that a director might listen to our mm-hmm. review episode of the movie. It's terrifying. That, well, that that I think is very understandable. Mm-hmm. But the idea that they would listen to the summer movie wager <laughs> feels way less plausible. What about this? Clearly, it's being passed around Hollywood. Everybody is placing their yes. own side bets. Like, they're betting on our bets. So, like, so true. It's huge. Yeah. Now, now, okay. Now, here's the thing. I went back to the summer movie wager episode. And... Uh, <laughs> Because I was like, okay, if Louis Leteria actually listened, what is it? Because I remember saying some not very nice things about Fast 10 during that episode. So I have now excerpted a one and a half minute clip from that episode that I'm going to play. So you can hear what Louis might have been listening to along with the uh, Jermaine's compliments about Dark Crystal. This is this is a listen to what was said and pretend you're Louis Leteria. Pretend you're Louis Leteria listening to this. Because we know he actually listened to at least part of this episode. I didn't have time to put in the harp noises, so I'm going to make them myself. Here we go. Uh, this is from the Summer Movie Wager episode 2023. And I think, uh, I think I'm confident Fast X in that spot. That, that is a solid pick, Jeff. Uh, I, the, you know, my animating theory for my list, honestly, has been about trajectories. It's been about um, where are things going, right? And if you look at the fast numbers, they are going down over time. Like, yes. the, yeah. I feel like fast and furious franchise has peaked and mm-hmm. it is on the decline. And the last movie, yeah, you, as you said, it was a weird movie, but it only made um, uh, like 170, right? One, uh, 173 million fast night. Now, Fate of the Furious, which was released in 2017, made 226 domestic. Mm-hmm. But I think we're due for a come down even from that. 
right? Mm. So there, there is a Jason Momoa factor. I think with Momoa too. involved, yeah. I think I think that he's we're gonna get a Momoa bump. Okay, you know, okay. I, but I, okay, I, but also. <laughs> Uh, I think it's very possible the movie is going to be even worse than usual, and that's because <laughs> I don't think that it matters. had a very troubled yeah. production. Yeah, um, yeah. Just yeah, you don't think that matters? That's, that's I don't fine. think that matters. This movie, these movies are cartoons. You know, yeah. they literally had two dudes in a car in space last time. It doesn't yeah. matter. You know, yeah. it's it. it, it, it we're but here for the, the the. I will say there is a baseline of quality we expected from. The recent ones, it may even be lower than that. So re- repeat yeah, that, views thank may you, not happen. Me. Thank you. That, that is all I'm saying. That is all I'm saying. We're back to the main episode. It, it sucks that that is the comment of mine <laughs> that is there because I've been the one saying the director of the transporter is doing Fast and Furious. That's fun. Okay. I'd be down with that. Yeah. It, it just goes to show you, uh, you know, I, I try to be pretty guarded on the main episode. I try to assume that the director uh-huh, uh-huh. might listen to the main episode, but I did not know that that needs to extend to the summer movie wager episode. You know, this, <laughs> no, this frivolous, you know, this frivolous be thing. Yeah. You got to have you speak your honest truth. And I mm-hmm. think, you know, if you're making art in this world of ours, you mm-hmm, have to have a mm-hmm. thick skin. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. uh, you know, I hope the movie's amazing, and I, I hope it's a triumph for everyone involved, and I hope uh, Louis is listening right now. because I'm uh, sure somebody said to him, uh, your comments with the Now You See Me franchise, Dave. Mm. How much you love those movies. How much I, how much I love them. His <laughs> beloved favorite franchise. Yeah, that's uh-huh. right. That's right. I do think to speak to your uh, gaming out why, how, and why, and how, <laughs> uh-huh. um, I, uh, I think it is plausible that perhaps uh, somebody was like, hey, uh, hey Louis, they, 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 this wow. guy Jermaine, Lucia is going to come in and, and talk to you. I, I, I found out what he else he said about your movies. Here, here listen to this. Uh, that's, that's who, my, who is that? Who is that? That was my uh, I, at, at first, gruff I thought, PR agent. At first, I thought that was a French accent. Yeah, and then yeah, it, yeah. it went into yeah. New York accent. And then, so it's like. Mm. Yeah, that's, no, no, the, that's, that's, that's how you know they're doing business. That's not where I thought you were going with that, Jeff. I thought you were going to say that clearly Louis is a Germain head. Do you know? Yeah. He's, yeah. he's what we call Germain head in the business. Well, he's. And, <laughs> yeah, we do call him that. The. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or a, a Lucier head, as, as they say. He just he just follows Jermaine and and listens and reads whatever Jermaine does and writes. You know. Yeah. Great. Well, he's gonna come in. You know, I figured maybe he's coming into the room. You know, quick, play me, play me the last thing this guy said about me. You know. <laughs> perhaps. Perhaps. You know, he just does that all day long at the junket. You know. Yeah. 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 Well, listen. If Louis Leterrier is listening right now, just let us know. That's it. That's yeah. <laughs> say something say only something. Louis Leterrier would know. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Yeah. Slash filmcast at gmail.com, of course, is where you can always reach us. But uh, I thought uh, listeners, would, listeners would like to know uh, the director of Fast 10 uh, also listens to the podcast, yeah. and he may have heard us disparaging uh, his upcoming movie. <laughs> so, but I, also, I think, you know, listen, the director of The Transporter 1 and 2 and Unleashed is a lot of fun. I think people Agreed. don't talk enough about yeah, Unleashed. Unleashed. That great. movie rules. I, yeah. I do think, though, the funny takeaway here is that Dave has realized not all of our listeners are losers. I think... <laughs> That was the big Dave, Dave's big realization is like what Jeffrey I was being ironical okay mm, well mm. done well done yes thank you thank you all right uh, so that is some some fun news there now last week on the podcast we reviewed Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three and I asked folks to write in because I had some opinions about how traumatizing that movie might be. We are not going to spoil Guardians Volume 3 right now here on the podcast, but uh, I do think it's worth noting that there are uh, ups- there is upsetting material in Guardians 3 that it really earns its uh, PG-13 rating. 
And so we asked folks to write in. And as usual, Jeff, I'm, you know, don't freak out by what I'm about to do next, Jeff. Okay, but I'm going I'm going to provide a very balanced perspective. Mm-hmm. So here we go. So this email comes in from Doug, who writes in from Burke, Virginia to slashfilmcastgmail.com about my comments that, hey, you should be careful as a parent if you're going to bring a kid to go see Guardians 3. Doug writes, quote, I agree with Dave in the broadest sense here. Not only will I never watch Guardian 3 again due to the plot device of animal cruelty it so copiously employs, if I had known in advance, I would never have gone the one time. Now, to me, this is just the latest, though admittedly more blatant than usual example of TV and movies using animal cruelty, especially of dogs, as a supremely manipulative and, in my opinion, lazy plot device to get me to feel something or think that that person's evil. The lack of trust in viewers to figure these character qualities out themselves is striking. Uh, now Guardians go so far into it that it almost becomes defensible as a necessary plot device. I would argue nonetheless that taking any child younger than 13 is not an easy decision for a parent. My kids are grown, but I would have not taken them to this until they're clearly old enough to understand why it was done. I also agree with Dave that the word of mouth on this is going to hurt the movie's box office hole in the long run this summer, end quote. So if only the movie had that specific number on it, that 13, <laughs> only there was some <laughs> indicator well, Jeff, I agreed with you on that. I, I said to you, I said during the episode, I was like, I agree. I think the, the PG-13 has got, like, people have gotten a distorted version of what that number means, yeah. uh, what that rating means. And I, I completely agree that mm-hmm. this is this is a good, a fairly good usage of the PG-13. Now, that, was my, that was my biggest position, was that yeah. the movie's PG-13. It's not, it's not, hey, bring your eight-year-old, you know? Yeah, yeah. On, on last week's episode of the podcast, I also opined that I don't think Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is going to be the number one movie, as we all predicted during the summer movie wager. Uh, apparently, I might be wrong about that, because the second <laughs> weekend hold for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, uh, it dropped 49%. That is the best second weekend hold for any MCU movie post-COVID. This is this uh, is why you never hedge, Dave. Mm-hmm. I tried to warn you about this. <laughs> I tried to counsel Just you commit. when you you because now you are guaranteed to be wrong because <laughs> you've hedged. If you just doubled down on your original position, you have a chance of being right. But now you're guaranteed to be wrong by trying to be retroactively right. And I'm okay with that, Jeff. I'm okay with that. But yeah, the movie made $60.5 million this weekend for a domestic total of 213.2. I, I think, Jeff, putting aside the summer movie wager, I think that what strikes me more about how wrong I am is just that, you know, how good the hold is, how good the, like, the, the, the reason you get a hold, like, minus 49% in the second weekend is because the word of mouth is really good. You know, like, is because people are watching animal cruelty. People are watching it. it. Repeat yeah. viewings, you know, like that, that's yeah. why a hold is this good. And so uh, p- putting aside who wins the summer movie wager, which I think st- I still will, uh, you know, th- I was wrong about that. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I'm acknowledging that on the air right now. So uh, people Man. love their guardians, uh, animal cruelty be damned. So I'm so glad that, that you admit there. that in front of me and Devendra and Louis Leterrier. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, indeed. So anyway, um, <laughs> there's one other message I want to read about Guardians before we uh, talk about a separate topic. And that is uh, this message from Eric. Uh, and, and Devendra, I thought about you, obviously, mm-hmm. when this message came in, who went to see uh, a movie in 4DX, Guardians oh in 4DX. Um, so he went to go see Guardians with his friend Tim 
uh, which is in quotes. So it's either him or a friend he's given a different name to. Um, but his mom wanted to see Guardians of the Galaxy. Tim's mom. So, yeah, Tim's mom wanted to go see Guardians of the Galaxy. And um, I and so he I write. He, I'm going to read from the email. Quote: I arrived at the cinema feeling somewhat worse for wear after a late Saturday night. I met Tim's mom, climbed up in my oddly tall seat, looked around for the recline mechanism, <laughs> and then asked a very naive question. Hey, what do you think this water off button means? <laughs> when you enter a 40X theater, That's it looks amazing. like you're going on an amusement park ride. Yeah, right? yeah. It does not look like a theater. So what does this probably water off button mean? Unbeknownst, to, bad unbeknownst to any of us, Tim had bought tickets to a 40X showing. That's when, the, when the first trailer started for Fast 10, my chair suddenly threw me to one side. <laughs> Tim's mom screamed. A minute later, I was already carsick. Then the trailer for The Little Mermaid started, and I learned what the water off button was for. The water off button was for. The spray of water shocked me fully awake. Midway through the Flash trailer, I thought to myself, I am not going to make it through this movie. Uh huh. Tim had already spilled beer in his lap and was trying to clean it up while being thrown side to side. I could only hear wild panic laughter from his mom. Fortunately, the movie itself had slow movements, so I made it through without throwing up. But I was still Mm -hmm, pummeled, mm -hmm. lurched, and twisted. For most of two and a half hours, my water off button kept turning itself back on. So I got multiple (laughs) surprise mistings over the course of the movie. On multiple occasions, characters get stabbed in the midsection. And each time my chair punched me in the kidneys. Ever gotten. Yeah. In other words, we all agreed it had been an interesting experience, but we'd never do it again. My <laughs> review of 40X is it would be neat if used subtly, but as is, feels like an amusement park ride that goes on for two hours and 26 minutes too long. Tim's mom was a very good sport about it, and it seemed like a wonderful la- we seemed like a wonderful lady. I don't know if that was how she wanted to spend her Mother's Day. Oh, that's so funny. Um, oh, have and you then got, have you... and then I got the biggest surprise of all when I yes. found out I owed Tim $23 for my ticket. What the for heck? The privilege. Yeah. End quote. That I'm... comes in from Eric writing into slash filmcastgmail.com. You pay extra for the kidney punch. You do pay mm-hmm. extra and for the water in your face. Uh, have you guys done the 40X? Because I have. I, I have, have not. not done the 40X because I read Devendra Hardware's review yeah. of 40X. Yeah. 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 And in Gadget, and he said it is not a good experience. It's it's pretty bad. Like uh, I saw it for <laughs> Batman versus Superman, Oof. and as Bruce Wayne is falling down the the cave, your seat is just sinking down as his parents get shot again. Bang, bang, and you're back. <laughs> That's what you want to see. That's what you want to feel in the theater, right? I hate it. I hate it so much. Yeah. I wish we could have seen Bo is Afraid in Fox. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been great, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Just a constant sense of uh, anxiety spreads over the audience. <laughs> 40X is like when the uh, when the the thing in Nope uh, starts eating up people, and you just hear screams like far off in the distance. That's what you're hearing from the 40X theater. Just like, oh my god, what's happening? To wow. So Eric, not a fan of 40X. Devendra, not a fan of 40X. Jeff, have you have you done the 40X? Like, I have what, not. What? I yeah. have not. It it is very funny to me. I think. I think the only way to experience 4DX based on this emailer is is n- not knowing it's coming. I think that is the best way. <laughs> Unbeknownst 4DX. Yeah, is, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, Why so do we funny. need help to get into the seat? Huh? That's weird. <laughs> Next time I go see a movie, Jeff got out in person. It's going to be 4DX screening. Yeah. Um, I don't Friday. know how you would like get out to go to the bathroom because it's not like the seat's stuck. You have to like jump out as it's like gyrating. Good God. Involuntary 4DX is a, uh-huh. is a great, uh, yeah. <laughs> great movie experience. Anyway. Thanks for all the emails at slash filmcast at gmail.com. Um, we also we also got some emails about Guardians, uh, specifically about uh, a character that shows up at the very end. I just want to acknowledge a lot of people wrote in about that. I'm not going to say it because it's a spoiler, but um, got got the emails. Thank you very much. Yeah, Appreciate we got them. We understand. Yeah, we, we, understand. we missed it. We missed yep. it. 
we missed it. Yep. So anyway, but thanks to everyone for writing in emails. We really that's why you gotta you gotta study. You know, before these movies, there should yeah. be a previously on. You know, yes, absolutely, hundred percent agreed. All right, let's take a quick break for a sponsor. We'll be back with more, and then what we'll be watching right after this. Hey, it's time for me to jump in here and tell you about our sponsor, ExpressVPN. You know that you should be using a VPN for security, for safety. ExpressVPN, you've heard me talk about it, but what about saving money? Hmm? Hey, we could all save money right now. In this economy? Yeah, in this economy, you should be saving money. For example, you want all the streaming services? I want all the streaming services. I, I subscribe to Netflix, Disney+, Plus, Amazon Prime, you name it. All of them. All of them. You could spend uh, over $100 a month on those kinds of things. But when you use ExpressVPN, you can cut back and save so much every month. Let me explain. See, all these streaming services like Netflix actually have thousands more shows than you think. You just don't see them because they give you different shows depending on your country. So what you see on Netflix here is completely different to what someone in Italy or South Korea sees. But using the ExpressVPN app, I can change my online location. ExpressVPN has over 90 countries to choose from. So every time I run out of stuff to watch, I just switch to another country to unlock new shows. With ExpressVPN, it's just one button to change your country. Refresh the page, and the show that wasn't available in your area, ah, ah, what? Look at that. There it is. You don't need to pay extra for Apple TV or Prime just to watch it. And on top of that, I can even use my ExpressVPN to get discounts. Some services cost less in other countries. For example, if you buy Netflix from Argentina, it costs a fraction of the price at less than $7 a month, ExpressVPN pays for itself and so much more. It's a no-brainer. So if you want to get way more shows and save money while you're at it, go to expressvpn.com slash filmcast. Don't forget to use our link so you can get three extra months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash filmcast. E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T expressvpn.com slash filmcast to learn more. All right. Before we get to what we've been watching, there is just one quick thing I want to do, and that is uh, let's just do a very, very brief slash film court. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Flash Thanks to Simon M. Harris for that music. Uh, Love it. We, we That's the last time emails. we've done this, guys. Yeah. It's been a million years. We got a couple of messages about this viral tweet that's been going around. And it basically reads as follows. So I'm going to describe the tweet to you. Uh, somebody writes, quote, Before I leave movie theaters, I always dump out my leftover popcorn. Does anyone else do this or am I weird? End quote. And then it shows... It basically a movie seat, like a, a picture of like a movie seat and the floor next to it with just a bunch of popcorn dumped Good out. Good God. Animals. And people have Send asked us, like, what, jail. what do you think about this? And and I, you know, I, I, I'm kind of offended at the question because if you are a listener of the Slash Film Court, which in general advocates for considerateness, uh, for human decency, for a lack of spilling popcorn on the ground, 
um, then surely you would not ask what we think of it because you'd already know. This is terrible. Now, Jeff, you, Canale, you used to work at a movie theater, did you not? Indeed. I did for years. And were you constantly surprised at the depths of human depravity when it comes to cleanliness oh, of while course. working in a theater? Yes. It was, well, uh, <clears throat> you know, it's not a pretty thing. I, I don't think that the world works the same way it did in the 90s mm -hmm, when I was, mm -hmm. you know, when I was working there. But yeah, you would go into uh, a, a sold out matinee and you would, and it would take, uh, we used to have a race to see how fast we could clean the theater. And uh, you, it, it would be, a, it would look like a, a bomb went off, you know? It would, it was, a, a you said it right, depravity. It's, uh, I don't understand it. I'll never understand it, but here we are. I think there is this logic of, oh, hey, there's someone here. Like, I, I think people like treat it like a restaurant almost, you know, like, oh, there's someone, there's someone, whose, job it is to, there's someone yeah. whose job it is to clean up after me. Like, I think yeah. that's the logic. I'm not, yeah. I don't agree with that logic, but. The, the only, the only excuse for that is um, if you have kids and they make a mess and you clean up as best as you can as yeah. parents, but yeah. you, there is a mess left behind oh, sometimes yes. because they are children. <laughs> children do that not grown adults. i definitely don't even as an employee of, of, of you know former employee of a place like that i don't yeah. begrudge anybody the like, i don't expect anyone to get on their hands and knees and clean up the spilled popcorn like if you spill popcorn mm -hmm, mm -hmm. then that's fine the, the notion of, of dumping out the popcorn is patently absurd <laughs> yeah but i mean and, and to be fair i think the tweet was made in jest right yeah I, sure I, yeah that's my sense sure, but sure. also like one of the things that you start to think when you work in that job is this many people couldn't have spilled their popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I gotcha. I gotcha. Like this is this is not this, yeah. this is not a naturally occurring yeah. amount of popcorn to be spilled. It's just the law of averages alone, you know? <laughs> yeah. But Doesn't you know seem... what? This is not yeah. only a disrespect for the workers, it is a disrespect for the popcorn. When <laughs> I yes. leave the theater, I'm bringing that big jug with me. If it's during the day, you could go back and get a refill. And even the theater people are like, please come back and get more because they know uh, I'm there often enough. You know, my daughter really likes the movie theater popcorn. So I go refill. I bring it, I put it in the car seat. I buckle it in <laughs> wow. to bring it back home mm, safely. Wow. Pro tip. And my daughter gets popcorn. That's what you and, do. And the employees are like, you're, you're taking your trash out with you. Look at yes. that. <laughs> yes. The golden rule I tell my kids, like, it's a very simple thing. Leave the place, you know, uh, if ideally better than you found it, or at least no worse than you found it, you know? Yeah. Seems to apply for everything. I do think with the biggest summer movie season since 2019 happening, uh, that... It is time to open up the the email box for a few more slash film court. Like now that people are going back to theaters again, uh -huh. yeah. uh, movie dilemmas will present present themselves. So do feel free to email us at slash filmcast or I think slash filmcourt at gmail.com. Uh, and let us know if you have any movie dilemmas. But we really appreciate folks sending that one in because uh, <laughs> the fact that you thought of us means you associate us with behaving well in theaters and, and we appreciate that. That's so good. that tweet and, was definitely bait. Like that was bait yes. to get everybody oh, yes. angry. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. But anyway. All right, folks, let's get to what we have been watching this week. And, you know, I, I've been celebrating the fact that there are multiple movies in theaters right now that are good. But you know what's also great, guys? There's multiple theaters and movies that are bad in, like, <laughs> as well. I'm not saying I saw any of them. I'm just saying that, like, I was looking at what's playing in theaters, and it's like, wow, this is, like, 
there's so many movies out right now, you know, some of some of which are bad uh, that I don't want to see. They're, um, they're back. The the, the the theatrical experience is back to life, right? I think that's what it is. I agree. I, I think that's correct. And uh, now, you know, putting aside movies that are good or bad, here's a movie that most people probably haven't heard of, but that I think is a hidden gem. And that is the Blackberry movie. Now, nice. uh, Devendra, have you heard of this this movie? I, I mean, yes, I, I, I have it locked and loaded to watch. I just have not had time, but here it's very good. Yeah. Uh, so I have been extremely skeptical on this podcast of these movies that depict the rise and fall of businesses uh, like We Crashed or The Dropout or whatever. Like, I feel like many of these movies add very little to or Tetris. That's another great example. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Very, mm-hmm. Many of these movies add very little to our understanding of the events and often just feel like an excuse for actors to play dress up and do different accents and and walk us through the wikipedia page but none of these previous movies have had a mechanical keyboard it's so true it's so true um the black bear movie currently out in theaters i believe you can stream it if you're in canada huh uh but that makes sense actually yeah it chronicles the rise and fall of research in motion who created the iconic blackberry device it stars jay baruchel and Glenn Howerton as two BlackBerry executives, very, very different in demeanor and approach. Mm-hmm. And I gotta say, I love this movie, guys. I, yeah. you know, it was like, it's very similar to Air, Jeff. So if you liked Air, I actually think you'll really like BlackBerry. <laughs> the Air like of Air. Uh, smartphone movies. It's, yes. it, 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 I'm not joking. It literally yeah. felt like a sequel to Air because because Michael Jordan's in it. <laughs> well, uh, it's one word title. It also has, I think, in the opening credits, a section like in the in the opening credits of Air. It's the, the opening credits of Air is literally the '80s, the montage. That's mm-hmm, what the opening mm-hmm, credits of Air yeah. is. It's like Rubik's cubes and Suzanne Summers and Thighmaster and like all this stuff from the '80s, just like a bunch of '80s crap just thrown right at you. I hear there's a and, great Tangerine Dream like score selection too in this movie. So I'm yeah. I can't oh yeah. Well, so it. in Blackberry they basically have the '90s version of that. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, dude. But it's, but yeah. it's much shorter. It's much shorter. Boo. And, um, and Blackberry is just much nerdier than Air. It's like all the guys <laughs> who worked at Research in Motion—they're all nerds. And there was a moment in the first 20 minutes of the movie where one of the nerds working at Research in Motion is reading the internet and uh, uh, he like someone's trying to interrupt him and he's like, hey, I'm sorry, I'm reading about whether Noonien Sung from Star Trek is a Q. And I, I leaned over to my wife and I said, I, that was under- me. I understood every part of that sentence. <laughs> I can't believe there was a movie about Mike Lazaridis and Jim Balsley, two guys, two guys I have written about and followed yeah. like when I started writing about tech because BlackBerry was still a thing and I followed that company as it, it fell apart. The, the fact that this movie even exists seems wild to me. Yeah. I So, yeah, it, it's basically the nerd version of Air, which makes it like mm-hmm. genetically engineered to be a movie that I would be interested in. Uh, and so I, I loved it. I think Glenn Howerton and Jay Baruchel, who play those two characters, are great. I don't think they are, are anything in appearance or demeanor like the actual real life people in yeah, my opinion. Glenn, Glenn Harton's playing bald in this. Yeah, but uh, but I'm okay. Yeah. I'm okay with it. Like I actually think it's okay. Like you it, don't try to be the other person. Like just be your own thing. Like, you know, it, it, you don't have to like I don't know that Jesse Eisenberg really looks and sounds like Mark Zuckerberg. It doesn't matter. Like as long as it's a compelling depiction on its own, mm-hmm. um, it's worth checking out. So uh, what's <laughs> great about Blackberry is um it, it, the story of Research in Motion and BlackBerry is epic. I mean, these mm-hmm, guys, mm-hmm. 
at one point controlled 50% of the smartphone industry in the United States, right? Um, well, also 20, because the smartphone industry was kind of nothing for, yeah, for a long time. It was mostly them. Very <clears throat> it was yeah. mostly them. Uh, I think what and, you just said about, <clears throat> about Jesse Eisenberg is kind of unfair. I'm kind of reeling about that still. Uh-huh, you know, because uh-huh. like, you know, who else are they going to get to play Zuckerberg? Like, you can't cast a thumb. <laughs> That's the closest actor that you could get to. Wow. What? <laughs> okay, never mind. <laughs> is it a human thumb? His face is a thumb? It's a thumb. Oh, okay, oh. I get it. I get it. Oh, okay. wow. Okay. okay. Anyway, um, <laughs> let's just like get that this was whole rough. episode back on track. That was rough, Jeff. I'm wow. Sorry. That was pretty bad. You're okay. rough. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, 20, 25 years ago, this mm-hmm. is this company was riding high, and it's a company that literally does not exist in the smartphone market today, right? Yeah. Uh, and and to have that rise and fall in such a short period of time, it's dizzying, and it's amazing to kind of watch it happen. And I I, I think when I watch a movie that's about a company i want it to be shakespearean Mm -hmm, i mm -hmm. want it to be like epic like you know emotions of like these are the biggest personalities that have like where you know their strength is actually leads to their downfall and all this stuff and and that's what blackberry the movie delivers for me the trailer um, also looks like Halting Catch Fire, which yeah, is a show yeah, exactly, uh, you yeah. really need to see, Dave. And you too, Jeff. I forget if you've seen it. I haven't. Um, but it's also all about the rise of the personal computer in the yeah. 80s yeah. and uh, yeah. basically the internet in the 90s. Guys, uh, Michael Ironside is in this movie. Carrie Elwes is in this movie. Like, that's just wild. <laughs> yeah, there's, okay. some great, there's a great cast in the movie. Sam uh, Fisher himself. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I love this movie. I thought it was great. Um, and I would recommend if you're into, if you're a nerd like me and you're into kind of, uh, business rise and fall stories, Mm -hmm. like this is much closer to the social network than it is to Tetris in my opinion. And for well, Tetris that, just wanted to be fun. Yes, like, Tetris that's is a, basically. Yeah. Yeah. This is like wow, it, it, it's tragic. But that's the mm-hmm. thing. Blackberry is tragic, and that's what I love about it. So. I'm, I'm having flashbacks to I've had dinners, you know, but early, early on in the days with the Blackberry folks and the Nokia folks, and uh, rephrasing the question of like, you're screwed. What are you going to do about it? And to both of them and Nokia, uh, they they basically just shrugged their shoulders, like we'll be fine. A year later, they're both out of business, basically. Yeah. Or Cue, uh, dead. Ron Howard saying yeah. they weren't. They weren't. Yeah. Footage not found. Anyway, yeah. um, so uh, that's, I yeah. definitely want to see this. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna wait the week and a half till it reaches video on demand and yeah. watch it that way. But uh, you know, I definitely want to see it. Yeah, I, I just love that a movie like this got a theatrical release. You know, like yeah. that's amazing. That was, mm-hmm. No, we're back. You know, yeah, we're back. Stro- strongly recommend BlackBerry. Uh, it's out in theaters right now. If you liked Air, this it's like I said, it's like it feels like a sequel because it takes place right. like a decade after the events of Air, basically. Air is on Amazon now too, by yeah, the way. Air, Air is on Prime Video. Davindra, you should check it out. On Prime I will. Video when you yeah. All right, that's one thing I've been watching. Davindra Hardware, what's one thing you've been watching? I've been catching up on Yellow Jacket season two. I really enjoyed the first season, and um, you know, it just took me a while. There's been so much good TV and so many things, so I am about three or four episodes in right now. And I have to say, like, it's the show is just kind of unique in terms of what it's doing. Um, I do like that. It's a great follow up to season one. Um, No spoilers. But if if you've heard of Yellow Jackets, you probably have an idea of like what the show is actually about. And, you know, there, there is like a big feast. I feel like we're all waiting for. And just watching the season, it does make me think, you know what? Season one would have been stronger if we had ended there. 
right on that because there's a big event that happens kind of the thing everybody expected it is the story that you you expect from you know a group of soccer players who are stranded after a plane crash and it, it's really well done but i i don't know where the rest of the season's going to go i have seen a lot of like I've seen people falling out of love with the show as the season goes on. So I'm kind of dreading like keeping going, but it is, you know, if you, if you like season one, I think it's worth uh, following up like where these characters go because it's still, it's still really unique on TV, even if it's a little messy. So yeah, I'm still enjoying yellow jacket season two. I just wish uh, part of this was in season one because season one was a little rocky too. Yeah. That's yellow jacket season two. And yeah, Devendra, I've heard some pretty mixed things. Mm-hmm. Uh, honestly, I've seen some people share my opinion about what season one was, which is like the modern day stuff, not super great, not super compelling. The, yeah, it was like a little the soapy. Past, the yeah. past stuff, awesome. Like I mm-hmm. loved all the stuff with the plane crash and all that stuff. Like that was great, I thought. So, uh, but I'm glad you're still enjoying it. Yellow Jacket mm-hmm. season two is currently airing on Showtime. Jeff, what have you, what's one thing you're watching? Well, I also have a based on true events, look inside the industry type of a movie. Uh, And if you saw Air and you wanted a sequel to move from the 80s to the 90s, you could go see Blackberry. But if you you watched Air and you wanted a prequel going from the 80s to the 70s, what? Then you might want to check out the movie that I watched this week, which is called Pinball, The Man Who Saved the Game. Uh, This was recommended to me by numerous people uh, who said it was uh, right up my alley. and it is um, it is the story of a guy, a writer, who evidently this was news to me. Honestly, this is one of those movies where you learn a little. You actually learn a little real history. And one of the things that I learned, which is the premise of this movie, is that pinball was outlawed in the state of New York and a lot of other places, or the city of New York, I should say, not the state. Yeah, the c- yeah, city yeah, of New yeah. York. Uh, and a lot of places uh, outlawed in Chicago, it was outlawed in Los Angeles, it was outlawed in uh, all these big cities all across the nation for decades. Uh, and uh, this is the story of a guy who played a pivotal role in rescinding that law and making pinball uh, legal, <laughs> legal, which is a wild thing to think that pinball, the idea being that uh, pinball was sort of regulated like it was a a, a form of gambling. And Mm -hmm. there was all of this moral panic about how it was gambling targeted at children. Little did they know, a scant 50 years later, we would have uh, loot boxes in (laughs) video games. Digital loot boxes. So so the idea is that because it's so chance-based, whether the ball will go to a certain place that you're kind of putting your money into a game of chance is that kind of what it is that's or? exactly right and and this this person the the central character of pinball the man who saved the game uh demonstrated that it was not a game of chance that it was a game of skill um and uh so it's the story it's the story of this man now what makes this movie i think unique and fun for me is that it is set up like a documentary it is, it is in the form of a documentary where you have present day main character, this, char- this guy named Roger, um, Mr. Sharp, Roger Sharp. Um, you have him in present day sort of looking back on his life, being interviewed by a documentarian. But it's not actually him. It is the great character actor, Dennis um, Batsikaris. I, th- I don't know how to pronounce his last name. He's great. You'd recognize him from many, 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 many things. I think he's the best part of this movie, but he's playing the old version of this guy being interviewed by unseen documentarians and being asked about his life. And 
he is a wonderful narrator for this thing because he keeps showing up in scenes. He's like actively arguing with the documentarians about how they should be portraying things and the tone. And it's this fun. He's like, they go, you saved, you saved pinball. The, the whole title of this movie, the man who saved the game is kind of ironic because in the context of the movie, he's constantly arguing. He's like, I, I'm a footnote. I don't, I didn't really do much. I didn't, it's not a big deal. It's really not that big of a deal. And there are scenes where, you know, they'll show parts of his life. He's like, that's not how it happened. You're making a movie. That's not, that's not remotely how it happened. Uh, there's one, one part of the movie where he's, he steps up and he's constantly like showing up in the period moments of the movie in the seventies, you know, he's like walking through and none of the other characters see him. He's just commenting on it. It's very cleverly done, but there's one really great scene where he's, where he, he steps out and he looks at the camera and he goes, you know how in movies that are based on true events, you're there, you're always, you know, there's, there's always like half of it that's real and half of it that's completely made up. When he goes, you know how there's always half of it that's completely made up. He goes, this is the other half. And it's like, it's cool. It's like very, you know, very meta, very uh, self-effacing, but it's done in a charming way. I, I liked that conceit that the movie takes on that we're, we're in a movie where the the narrator, the guy who's telling his life story, kind of doesn't want to be doing this and is uh, pushing up against the idea of making a movie about this. It's clever. And a lot of the movie is also preoccupied with sort of a love story between him and and this woman. And so the docu the documentarians are always like, so yeah, so but tell us about how you saved pinball. And he's like, oh yeah, 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 I'll get to that. But let me tell you about more about this lady that I met. Uh, and that sort of romantic comedy element of it is lovely and um, is, is very, is very sweet. It's very sweet. It's very much not, um, it's not, it's a movie that kind of understands that small little things can be interesting too. It doesn't have to be this giant life-changing moment, these big things. It's constantly telling you about how like these little things are, that's, that's what life is. It's full of these little lovely little moments. And uh, Mike Faist, I believe, F-A-I-S-T, the, the guy from West Side Story that played he Riff. He was amazing, mm -hmm, amazing mm -hmm. West Side Story. Uh, yeah. Riff, Riff, I think, right? Was his, his Is that what I said? What did I say? Yeah, yeah. Raff? I said Raff or Riff? Yeah, Riff. Um, yeah. He's Riff Raff. Anyway, um, <laughs> what, I don't know what I said. Whatever I said, he's in West Side Story, but he's like this kind of, you know, got an edge to him in, in West Side Story. In this movie, he's a total nebbish. He's like a total schlub. And he wears this absurd mustache through the entire mm -hmm. movie mm -hmm. absurd and it's all it's just very distracting the mustache and there's lots of comments in the movie about the mustache uh it's an odd choice to like stick with the mustache through the movie but uh i don't know i thought this movie was very sweet uh it plays in a in a kind of you know charming self-effacing way it's not a typical um one of these movies, as you've, as you've talked about over and over again, these kind of like true life, let's show you how crazy it was. This movie is constantly saying, eh, it's not that, it wasn't that crazy. This is the thing that happened. And I give it a lot of credit for that because I think that's an interesting take. And it really, it's a heartwarming tale. There's, you know, the characters are very sweet. The, the movie is very sweet. It's a, it's a lovely hour and a half. Very cool. Uh, that's Pinball, The Man Who Saved the Game. And Jeff, how did you watch that movie? I paid $5 to rent it on Amazon Prime Streaming. All right. Uh, well, I, I've gotten a few recommendations for this as well. I'm glad to hear that you liked it. Hmm. Um, Pinball, The Man Who Saved the Game. 
Let's take a break for a sponsor. We'll be right back with more. We'll be watching right after this. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. I want to talk about a movie on Apple TV Plus called Still. Have you guys heard of this movie? Still? Yes. Vaguely. Some of their movies just feel like they don't really exist, right? It just, so what, came, what is out, it just yeah. came out this week. And I, I would agree with you that uh, I don't know that the marketing has been great for this movie. I... Uh, uh, you know, I, I every single movie I watch, I log on my Letterbox page mm-hmm. at letterbox.com slash Dave10. I go to log still, and I literally cannot find the movie. There are many Letterbox. stills also. Oh, yeah, this is many, the Michael J. Fox one. Yeah. Yes, this is a Michael J. Fox one, right? Um, but yeah, there's many stills, and typically the most recent one is at the top when it, like I autofill in still, you know, like and it it'll show up, and I couldn't find it. Maybe it's there now, but uh, anyway, uh, still just premiered on apple tv plus i think to not that much fanfare because i i did hear um chris rudd from the streaming things podcast recommended to me and so i want to give a shout out to him um because i watched this movie and i think it is very very good um you know most documentaries guys that premiere on a streaming service like like netflix Mm -hmm. or um or apple tv plus or prime video or wherever uh the the common refrain that i have is man, this five-part documentary series or three-part documentary series could have just been a movie, right? That's kind of off. It feels like they unduly stretched this out to be a three-part documentary. Like, almost always, like 89% of the time, that's my reaction. Every now and then, it's the opposite. This is this is one of those times. Still is like a 90-minute film. And this, to me, does feel like uh, it could have been three parts. I, I love this movie. Uh, I think it's very beautiful. It, it basically... Uh, features an in-depth interview with Michael J. Fox uh, about his life. And it does some really interesting, cre- it makes some really interesting creative choices. Uh, and I would say uh, there's two creative choices I want to point to. One is that it ha- it'll have Michael J. Fox talking about his life. And then it will use footage from TV shows and movies that Michael J. Fox has been in to illustrate those moments. You know, like from his TV shows, from his movies, just like he'll talk about like how he was very depressed, very stressed. And we'll use that footage from those movies to kind of illustrate that moment um, that I thought was kind of interesting. And the second thing that it does that I think is interesting is it has reenactments with somebody who is a younger Michael J. Fox, whose face you never see, but then it will intercut them with those moments from the real life TV shows and movies. that he's in. So it kind of creates this really unique, fascinating texture to this documentary in a way that I, I literally have never seen before um, that, that kind of seamlessly blends past and present. It's very interesting. I, I really recommend you check it out. Um, and you learn a lot about Michael J. Fox's history. Um, you know, Jeff, I'm, I'm guessing there was a time in your life when you were very um, intrigued by these kind of rags to riches stories of actors, maybe less so these days, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, sure. No, I, I'm, but, and Michael J. Fox is a huge, huge part of my life. I mean, I, I grew up watching Family Ties. I, uh, obviously, Back to the Future, that goes without saying, but, but like, The Secret of My Success 
mm. is low-key one of the movies that shaped my life. <laughs> like it's very, uh, which is a disturbing thing to say when you know the, the plot of that movie, but uh, he, he was a big deal. He was a big deal in my in my life. I, you know, I, yeah. I love that uh, guy. Th there's just a couple of things I want to point out. Of You know, of course, uh, you should watch the movie, but like one is I didn't know how bad things were for him before he got family ties. He was like talking about needing to sell his furniture. He had no money. And he was talking about how he would go to IHOP to steal the jam, um, little jam smuckers packets mm -hmm. on the tables because he had no food. Like he he yeah. would eat it for the calories. And so that was when he, then all of a sudden he gets family ties and then um, shoots family ties at the same time as Back to the Future. And if you, you know, this is not new information for those who are Back to the Future fans, but he was shooting family ties Back to the Future at the same time. So he would work like, eight hours at family ties, then eight hours and back to future and then sleep for three hours yeah. and then do the entire thing over again. And in the middle of all that, it's like when you're doing that for months, it's like in your mind, you're wondering, is any of this any good? You know, like yeah. you, you, you have no, idea. if you're that exhausted, you just have no idea if you're making anything mm -hmm. of any quality. You and, can kind of see it in Back to the Future too. Like I think a lot of times Marty feels like flustered <laughs> and exhausted too. And yeah, it, it kind of helped that character. In it a way. did. It yeah. did help the character. But yeah, uh, and the whole Back to the Future Family Ties section is exhilarating in mm. in the way that still shoots and retells that story. It's exhilarating. Like you got to at least watch that portion of it. It's really amazing. So, uh, but the biggest downside of the movie, honestly, it's similar to uh, Jeff. I think when we watched Val, the uh, yeah. video documentary, right? yeah, where like. The early part of this person's career is covered super in depth and with a lot of nuance and detail. And then it just feels like the movie abruptly ends. Mm. You know, like it feels like, oh, they ran out of time with Val Kilmer or Michael J. Mm -hmm. Fox. And so it's just like, oh, and the movie's over. And um, that was a little bit of a bummer uh, because I, I thought like there's some interesting stuff. Like he did what the Michael J. Fox show, I think it was, right? Um, where he was, he openly had Parkinson's. Uh, in that show, and I would have loved to hear more about that. That's not really covered in the movie. The the other thing that I just wanted to mention before I wrap up my conversation about Still is just that um, uh, it, I didn't really fully understand how old most people are when they get Parkinson's and how young Michael J. Fox was when he did. Yeah, right? like yeah, most people develop it in their fifties and sixties, if I understand correctly from the movie. And I think he was diagnosed in his late twenties. And it was after he had been massively successful with Back to the Future and Family Ties. And it's just like, it's just a stunning development, just like a stunning yeah. thing to happen mm -hmm. to someone, mm -hmm. right? Like that you've you've achieved literally the highest fame and fortune that one can achieve in the industry. Uh, and then to be diagnosed with this uh, really debilitating illness, it's it's... It's really striking, and, and the movie kind of brings these moments to life uh, really compellingly. So uh, I really liked the movie. I thought it was beautiful. And also, like, you know, um, I have a significant other who uh, has a chronic disability, and um, watching it with her was very emotional. Um, mm. uh, it's obviously not as serious as Parkinson's, what she has, but it's still something that, like, um, we deal with and talk about. And so um, I really liked the movie as a kind of, uh, a portal into another person's world and their struggle with it. So still yeah. is the name of the movie. Go ahead, Jeff. You know, he and uh, Christopher Reeve, uh, it, it's amazing to me, these people who have, you know, established themselves and become um, indelible in the, in the 
in the public mind, in the, in the psyche of, of our culture and are willing to still be public after that persona is shattered and how open they are about their struggles. And, you know, I, I, it's, it, that to me is heroism, you know, like the, his vulnerability, his willingness to be open about what he's going through. Um, I find that to be so inspiring and incredible. And um, I'm very much looking forward to watching this movie as well. Yeah, it's still on Apple TV+. Plus. You know, Jeff, I was reading an article by the guy who ghostwrote Prince Harry's memoir. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about this guy. He also, I think, wrote The Tender Bar, that book uh, that now has a movie based off of it. And he was talking about how he has ghostwritten for other people as well, including uh, Andre Agassi, uh, the tennis legend. Um, and the thing that really struck me was uh, he talked about how, like, because he ghostwrote Andre Agassi's book and that was very successful, um, he's had a bunch of people come to him, billionaires, musicians, um, celebrities. They'll come to him and say, hey, I want you to ghostwrite my memoir, right? Like, that's they'll come to him with offers to ghostwrite my memoir. And there's been at least two instances in which he has worked on someone's memoir for years and then they have killed the memoir. Oof. Like, they have... They have done the memoir. They've done you written the book. It's good, and they put it in a drawer, and they're never opening it again. And he attributes it to sometimes when people are like, "Hey, yes, I, I want to tell my story, and I want to like look at my life with a microscope," and then they don't like what they see, mm -hmm. right? Um, and there's some kind of vanity there, I think. And I do think that, yeah, should, like laying out your life in these movies, you know, there is, certainly there is some benefit that accrues to the the person telling the story. Um, but it's also showing like a lot of their struggles, a lot of their weaknesses, um, a lot of mistakes they've made. And I do think they're, th that is admirable in many ways, you know, mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and, and worthwhile. Um, and even if it is an incomplete picture, I'm sure, you know, this person's enemies would tell a different story, but like, even if it is a, an incomplete picture, um, I think these movies still and Val are really, are really worth checking out. So anyway, um, that's one other thing I've been watching this week. Living your hardware. What else have you watching? Well, you know, not as meaningful as still, but I have been watching <laughs> White House Plumbers on HBO, which is um, one of those things. It just feels like they just dropped. It's like, hey, Woody Harrelson, Justin Theroux are in a show. You, you should watch it. You know, um, this one's about uh, E. Howard Hunt and G. Gordon Liddy, the folks behind Watergate, and basically follows them as they go on multiple schemes uh, on behalf of Nixon, um, multiple attempts to break into Watergate 2. It is um, produced, I believe it's by the second Veep showrunner, the person who had taken over Veep, um, also has some succession writers on board too. So it has that sort of style, but it's it's sort of like a, a dramedy type of thing. Like it has funny elements, um, but it's also going over the Watergate story and also, you know, drawing some very clear parallels to where we are and, you know, the abuse of political power and everything like that. Um, this is a weird show because I feel like it's perfectly fine. It's perfectly entertaining. It has some good actors I like. It's a perfectly um, cromulent show. It's perfectly like. cromulent. <laughs> um, it is. It kind of reminds me actually of what Veep turned into. Where I think as soon as the Inuchi left, like I, I was not as much a fan of like what that show was doing. Like I felt a distinct lack of voice and sharpness in that show, and it got better. I think over time. I think it ended pretty well. But th this show just feels like you know, look at these crazy guys. 
going on hijinks. They're hiring, you know, Cuban operatives to help break into things on behalf of Nixon. Isn't that weird? Um, there are choices made in the show, too, which I think um, one one grates me quite a bit. Woody Harrelson, uh, as he plays E. Howard Hunt, kind of like grits his mouth and grits his teeth and just like his entire demeanor is like is like like he's angry like he's saying every line is he's angry like he's a repressed man he's a former you know intelligence officer he has all these power he has all these skills basically and he's just like putting on a very clear affect um justin Thoreau also makes choices in the show and i think he he is more he's a bit foppish he plays g gordon liddy as kind of like a very um eccentric sort of person but also somebody who would you know have a dinner and put on hitler speeches and like talk about how much he enjoys that and the imagery of that so that's that's interesting i think thoreau's giving us all uh lena hitty is in the show as well and um you know folk, folks you'd expect in a, a show from the v people gary cole is here of course donald gleason shows up at some point um i think it's a good watch but i don't think it's like sp- uh, particularly great television um, I'm mainly keeping up because I do like these actors, even though what they're doing in the show is kind of annoying. And Jeff, I'd love to hear your take because mm. I do feel like what Woody Harrelson is, do- is doing here is just, it's a little too much, a little too much mustard on what's going on here. Um, but it is funny. It is perfectly enjoyable. And if there wasn't so much other good TV, I'd probably be a little more, um, you know, effusive about it, but I, I think it's perfectly fine. You know, I do like these actors and I, I love to see Justin Thoreau being weird. That is a thing I would watch you know, no matter how bad it is. So we're watching I, that respect. Yeah. I, uh, you know, Woody Harrelson is one of the most prolific actors we have. Yes. He's, he's constantly yeah. working. I don't know if I can think of very many times where he's tried to transform himself into, you know, <laughs> taking on, uh, interesting accents or affectations yeah. to it's an wow, interesting Jeff, are, are we forgetting his portrayal as carnage in the venom series Jeez, <laughs> dude, it's true come on man i i, I, I guess i wasn't putting wigs in the in the equation mm. which is there are many wigs in the show as well so yeah i, I i'm just gonna put out a disagreement with davindra about the fact that like uh well i i think I don't, maybe we don't disagree that much we we disagreed yeah, on veep i know you like the, yeah the i thought veep, veep like it, it did become different and I thought it was going to be disaster. Like I mm-hmm, thought, oh, mm-hmm. David Mandel coming in and replacing Armando Iannucci. Like Iannucci is irreplaceable. But um, the ending of Veep, the last few seasons, I actually thought were very good. And yeah, the very end, as you indicated, Divindra, I think is a is a very solid yes. ending yeah, yeah. for an overall brilliant show. So I actually liked Veep through like 90, 95% of its run. Um, and I've heard mixed things about White House plumbers, uh, yep. but um, uh, it sounds like you agree with kind of the mixed. M- mixed uh, is kind of know. the word. I feel like this is a good show to probably catch up on over the summer when new shows are kind of dry because it, it is entertaining enough. I just uh, I am annoyed by certain choices. You know, that's mainly it. You know, I want to acknowledge one thing, by the way, Devendra, um, which is that mm-hmm. uh, one of the things that's going on right now because of the writer strike uh, is a lot of celebrities are not promoting their shows. Yes, that's true. Um, that's true. They're yeah. not like giving interviews. They're not doing podcasts. They're not doing a bunch of stuff. And that is because uh, they like by promoting a show, you are basically allying yourself mm-hmm. with the studios mm-hmm. who the writers are striking against. That's right. I believe um, this came out pre-strike, but still, yeah. 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 So, I, so uh, that you know, I, I did want to acknowledge that that is a yeah. possible reason why, like. A show like White House Plumbers is like, you know, we're we're not seeing Justin Thoreau on Jimmy Fallon because Jimmy Fallon's mm-hmm. not even on right now, you know, because because of the writer strike. So I do think yeah. like the the strike um, will Im- impact like kind of some of the promotional efforts. And as it should, as it should, 
because yep. the functioning of a studio should be disrupted uh, by writers wanting to be paid what they're owed. So anyway, um, that is White House Plumbers. It's on HBO Max and HBO. Uh, and it's what Devinger has been watching. Jeff Kanata, you've been watching one of the things that we've also seen, right? Yeah, I believe everybody's been watching this. Uh, I wanted to bring up uh, the new stand-up special from John Delaney called Baby J. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, I think this this is a brilliant brilliant work it is um extremely impressive and i i specifically wanted to bring it up in contrast to uh what i spoke about when we talked about rothaniel um jared carmichael's special because i think these are of a kind and i it really um brings into stark contrast for me why that one didn't really work for me and this one does um in both cases you have a very popular, very talented, very funny stand-up comedian doing a an hour-plus show uh, that is very personal and very revealing about their life and their struggle and some of the things that they've been going through on a deep sort of fundamental identity level. Um, uh, in this case, Baby J is all about John Mulaney kind of talking directly about his struggles with substance abuse and his time in rehab. Uh, where Rothaniel was about, you know, um, Jared Carmichael coming coming out. Um, so, you know, different topics, obviously, but both of them very personal, both of them very honest and direct. And I know you guys really were very high on Rothaniel. I think mm-hmm. it, it is a bold and and sort of, um, you know, brutally honest uh, thing. But I I didn't I felt like it was it, it I didn't enjoy it as much because it felt more like therapy and. Like I was sitting in and seeing someone go through something yeah. in real time that didn't feel as artful and crafted as I know uh, Carmichael is capable of. Whereas Baby J, in my opinion, is really a stand-up special. It is, it is jokes, it is funny, it is crafted, and it also is revealing and introspective and honest and... um you know, raw. Uh, I I think uh, that is what I prefer to see personally. It didn't feel like I was watching something I'm not supposed to see. It really was felt like it was crafted for an audience, but it was somebody standing up and telling a really brutal truth about themselves, um, but doing it in a crafted way, in a artful way that really brought me on the journey and and entertained me and made me laugh out loud many, many times, but also made me think and and compare that to my own life and all, all those things that great art does. I, I just was so impressed by Baby J. I just thought it, it, it was extremely funny and extremely brave, you know, if I can use that word, because it, here's a person talking directly about, you know, let's be frank, embarrassing you know, things that have been sort of mm-hmm. in the public view, you know, the sort An of the intervention tab- with friends, like with some of the most famous people in Hollywood. Yeah. Too, like yeah. This direct sort of tabloid, yeah. uh, tabloidized, uh, uh, you know, view of, of this, you know, embarrassing parts of your life, these tawdry details, but doing it directly and, and with, um, with sort of humility in an odd way, you know, I just, I thought it was amazing. Devendra, do you have any thoughts on baby J? I really, I really liked it, but you know the the comparison to Rathaniel is interesting, Jeff. I do feel like they're just 
they're very, very different things, right? And I feel like with Rathaniel, that is that is more of like a dialogue with the audience and less of a stand-up set. So yeah, it is it is clearly less funny. I think Baby J is really is, is just hilarious. It also makes me feel maybe a little guilty too in terms of how much I enjoyed um his persona, you know, before rehab and everything too. Because now now we're understanding like, oh, a lot of that was just fueled by drugs. You know, the 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 things that we mm-hmm. really enjoyed and that makes me feel guilty as an audience member. But this is what I think of like going back and watching comedies from the eighties and stuff too. And like how much cocaine and other things just powered the <laughs> the the everything we saw back then. Right. So yeah, yeah. How I think would, you have, a, really how would you have a Gremlins too without cocaine? It's unlikely, right? <laughs> well, so. also, you know, you hear from people that have gone through stuff like this. I yeah. Mean, I, I, yeah. Stephen King comes to mind and others, um, where a lot of their most popular works were fueled by these, you know, substance <laughs> addled uh, stretches. Yeah. Um that you think those th- Scorsese movies uh, came out clean and dry? Yeah, but I mean, you hear oftentimes these these creators talking about how when they get clean, they get scared that they're not going to be yeah. good. Mm-hmm. That that yeah. that was the reason that they were able to create things that were popular and successful. And one of the things that's so awesome about Baby J, I think, is that it's proof that you know if you take him at his word that he's clean now, and I do, uh, mm-hmm. he's still able to create something that's crafted and brilliant and works and is hilarious you know i think that's a a, a triumph in and of itself i also really enjoyed this uh, comedy special baby g on netflix uh had a great time with it think it's very funny i agree with you jeff like it's it's it's, it is finely calibrated for your enjoyment um and it largely succeeds i'm a little bit less charitable towards the cause, you know, or, or his work than you are, you know, like I, I would not call it brave. I would call it a finely honed piece yep. of PR. Mm. Um, All right. because, and, and it's, it's, it's fascinating to see. And, th- but there's some, there's value in that. You know, I think if somebody becomes problematic and they need to like, they need to address it in some way, right? If somebody does something terrible or something terrible happens to someone, they need to address it in some way. Um, Here's another example. I'll just give it, this is very different, but like, I remember Patton Oswalt, um, his wife died uh, and he, it was really traumatizing to him. And he had to like, he had to address it in some way. And he did, I think this comedy special that he did that was called mm-hmm. Annihilation, if I'm yeah, if I recall yeah. correctly. Could, because he was like, yeah, I can't just like be out here making jokes about parking meters w- without talking about it in some way. Cause it would be like perverse if he did that. And I think when something like that happens to a, a comedian or celebrity, they they have to address it in some way and different comedians address it to differing levels of effectiveness. And overall, I would say this is like a pretty effective way of addressing it, right? Like he lays out, yeah, go ahead, Jeff. Well, I, I take your point. I, I think that's a, I mean, it, it may be accurate. You may be, you may be hitting the nail on the head. It seems a little cynical perspective and maybe, maybe it's accurate, but to me, I, I would say there is addressing it and then there is like spending the entire hour, right. minutes delving into it and being really, I think he is really, um, he's not m- making himself out to look good at all at any point, right? He, the, the comedy comes from how awful he was. And that to me, I think is a distinction. Like there, there are lots of these kinds of situations um, where a like you you have to you have to address it, but you can also you also address it in a way that kind of makes 
that is is almost presenting your side of the story. And I never got the sense that he was doing that. I, I got the sense that he was, he'd come out the other side of something and looked back and gone, oh my God, mm-hmm. that person was ter- truly terrible. And I'm going to address that head, lo- head on and like present the, I mean, there's, there's one moment where he says, he tells a story and it's truly terrible the way he behaved. And he goes, now consider that's the story I was willing to tell you. Like, like there are other stories right. that are where I'm even worse. But I think that that's this is this is why I agree to disagree with you. But we that, don't hear that them. admission alone is like. I think that he's he's literally admitting I was a monster. Like I'm I'm a terrible I was a terrible person, and I don't know. I think there is a bravery in that. Frankly, we we gotta agree to disagree on this one. You know, I think uh, I, I I yes, I remember that moment, and it's like yeah, we don't hear those terrible stories. Like we don't hear the, like. The, well, but yes, the stories we hear you, are you, terrible, you, though. You are correct that he uh, acknowledges many of his flaws and problems in the special. Um, I'm I'm not denying that, but I also again think that like the stories we do hear are finely calibrated in such a way that you can still come out of the special liking him. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think if he told all the story, like I don't know that people would feel the same way. And so I just I don't agree that like this is like uh, I think it is a very well executed. It's very funny and it's a very well executed piece of PR. I would not call it brave. So. Um, I actually think we agree on most assessments of this one, um, but yeah, and 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 I do think it is notable. I agree with you too. It's notable that he de- he dedicated the whole special to it. It wasn't like a three minute segment. Yeah, it's it was not like, like you know Chris Rock's last fifteen minutes or whatever. You right. know what I mean? I, I I agree. It was like there is something notable about that, like dwelling on it in the way it was, but. Um, I don't know. I can't just like you. You know, you you have feelings about the Ralph Daniel special. Like I can't kind of shake the sure. idea that we're watching someone try to reassemble mm-hmm. his public image. I mean, ever, um, and he he's also he split with his wife too, and there's a lot of tabloid stuff about that in his relationship with Olivia Munn. So I think like the the repair work that yeah. Melanie had to do is maybe not not what you know Nathaniel was about to. Right, um, right, right. I, honestly, any of these things are, they're all PR for their people, right? So if you want to be the fully cynical view of it, like everybody's trying to paint a portrait of themselves. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I, I see your point, Dave. Like yeah. it, do, it does feel like, yeah, he does dive into a lot of this stuff, but he's still like the same guy who feels like he's he's trying to please us all in a way right, too. It still, it's so, still fundamentally yeah. feels like a similar persona that we're getting on stage mm-hmm. that we've gotten before. Um, and, and I don't know that like, yeah, I think I've said my piece, but you know, Jeff, I, I appreciate that it, it was powerful for you, and and I think we'll just agree to disagree on that point. Well, but I'm I'm open it, to the idea. That... Worth, I'm, I still think it's worth watching. You know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I recommend, worth a watch. Would recommend still, you know, but I just feel more complicated about it. So yeah, well, I, I I'm certainly open to the idea that you you are correct here. If if you know, but it just I prefer not to be that cynical about people. You know, <laughs> fair, fair. Um, whereas, you know, I have no qualms about that. Either. So, <laughs> all right. Well, anyway, that's baby J it's on Netflix. And that is, uh, what Jeff and all of us have been watching this week. All right, folks, let's do a few weekly plugs. Weekly plugs, a part of show each week where we plug something else we've been making. I have a free newsletter called decoding everything. You can find it at decodingeverything.com. Subscribe for free and read my thoughts on the BlackBerry movie and how it d- demonstrates the innovator's dilemma, which is something I learned about when I was working at Harvard Business School. Uh, check it out, decodingeverything.com. Divinder Hardware, your weekly plug. 
Sure. I want to tell everybody to check out the latest episode of the Engadget podcast. We talked about Google I.O. and the Pixel Fold, their new foldable that they talked about. And uh, we talked a bit about Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, too. Um, I didn't get to play it by the time we did that show. But man, what a game and what a tough game at times, too. Yeesh. Jeff, I'm sure you have thoughts. I do. In fact, my my uh, weekly plug is uh, my mm-hmm. video game podcast, uh, episode 495. We had Ash Parrish on from The Verge. Uh, she put in over 100 hours into Tears of the Kingdom before wow. joining us on the show um, and uh, had a really, really interesting perspective on the game. Uh, and, uh, you know, kind of trying to rectify my own experience uh, just starting Tears of the Kingdom when we recorded because we mm-hmm. recorded early uh, for Mother's Day weekend, but um, because I don't, uh, I don't share a lot of people's thoughts about uh, Tears of the Kingdom. So um, it's I think... a little, it's a little rough. You're playing the Revenant in the first hour, basically. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh, I hope people check out uh, DLC, my video game podcast. You can find it wherever you get podcasts. So to to recap, Jeff, uh, big fan of Redfall, hates Tears of the Kingdom. That's kind of what. Uh, wow. The I, don't, I wouldn't joking. say big fan of Redfall. No, I'm world's biggest fan. I'm messing, I'm messing with, but I'm I do think I do think Redfall is not as bad as everyone makes it out yeah. to be. That's uh, for sure. But uh, all right, well, of course, you can always uh, support this podcast. This is the plug for this podcast at Patreon.com/slash/filmpodcast, where you can sign up for ad-free episodes and exclusive After Darks. Obviously, we just published a uh, After Dark clip for folks on the free feed. Uh, and uh, our review of Polite Society. But uh, you can get those every the, the, that kind of coverage, uh, as well as just us goofing off and responding to emails at patreon.com slash filmpodcast. We never want anyone to donate if it in any way causes them financial hardship. It's very easy to support us for free, actually. Leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts or go to instagram.com slash thefilmcastpod and share one of the many reels we're posting on your Instagram stories. It really helps to spread the word about the podcast, and it takes literally 10 seconds of your time. So if you're listening right now, you want to support the podcast, instagram.com slash thefilmcastpod. Share a reel. Spread the word about the podcast. We really appreciate it. Thanks to everyone who supports the Filmcast. Let's get to our review of Bo is Afraid. I am so sorry for what your daddy passed down to you. But I wanted a child, the greatest gift of my life. I'm visiting my mother tomorrow. Hi, Carrot, it's Mom. I'm just calling to say that I'm so, so, so excited to see you tomorrow. You're my angel and I love you. Okay, I love you. Okay, bye, sweetie. I love you. Are you at the airport? I'm on my way. I just... It's not safe, is it? What do you think I should do? I'm sure you'll do the right thing, sweetheart. Welcome to the Filmcast's review of Bo is Afraid. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. Following the sudden death of his mother, a mild-mannered but anxiety-ridden man confronts his darkest fears as he embarks on an epic Kafka-esque odyssey back home, end quote. So, Bo is Afraid. Uh, this is a movie that's been out in theaters for a few weeks. It cost around $35 million to make. Ari Aster, obviously somebody whose work has been uh, polarizing, celebrated, but uh, somebody who who I have admired, if not appreciated in the past. Um, 
Devinder Hardware, I think you have had a, a mixed track record when it comes to Ari Aster. Like, no, I don't know I've, that you I've were liked big... his stuff. I've liked all his stuff. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I uh, I haven't gone back and listened to the reviews on Hereditary and Midsommar, but uh, what did you think of Bo is Afraid? Um, probably this is my least favorite Ari Aster movie, but it, like all of his movies, I think it's very, very interesting. Um, it's just... I think I like the framing of both Hereditary and Midsommar um, a bit more. You know, Hereditary is a straight up horror movie. Midsommar is more about more of like a cult horror movie. And this one is is kind of a horror movie in many ways, but maybe because it hits a little too close to home. Like this is a movie about the horror of anxiety. That's ultimately what it is. And I, I think this is one of the fullest realizations, um, you know, I think a film has ever done of showing what it's like to live like anxiety and like how, how warped and how weird the world can seem like that. And, you know, that's something I dealt with a bit myself, not to the extent of uh, this character, but you know, in high school and before college, really, I was, I was not the, I was pretty socially anxious. So a lot of the fears and a lot of the things he is going through in this movie that are made real in so many ways, I just found really uh, very relatable. I do think it's very strange that a man that's so anxious like him is basically living in the middle of one of the very busy, uh, you know, neighborhoods in in New York, basically. It seems like a weird place to put yourself. Um, I would love to know the backstory of, like, what got Bo there. Um, but overall, I found this to be a really interesting movie. Um, maybe it didn't need to be three hours. Maybe it, it is a little overlong, and I could clearly see, like, what Ari Aster is trying to say. And I think some some at some point towards the end and we'll talk about that in spoilers i was thinking to myself just get over it already like just just get it get it like tell us i, I get the deal just, of what you're saying. Just, just get it over with like get it all out there and i think this movie does do that um but i do find it more frustrating than his other movies and those aren't like easy to to absorb movies either but i i i, I I was really impressed by what Hereditary did and by the the sort of scope of Midsummer as well. Like that is just a really fascinating movie. This one's really interesting, mainly for Joaquin Phoenix's performance. And I think for a lot of people around him, I especially like um, who's the guy who plays his uh, his uh, psychiatrist therapist who shows up in all sorts of things. But he is there's a point in this movie where even that guy who's like jovial santa claus type guy i love him whenever i see him he's in ladybird too he's just really creepy at a certain point in this movie too and it's just like this movie hits on really interesting things Stephen but mckinley yeah, henderson yes it did not need to be three hours i think that's my main thing like uh, the, towards the third in the third hours like i gotta get out of here like just just tell me what are you what are you trying to say um is it any different than what you're saying at the beginning of the movie it really isn't um uh, but it's certainly fascinating you know as all ari Aster projects tend to be Jeff Kanata, I'm so curious what you thought of Bo is Afraid. Well, Dave, I guess you could say what I thought of Bo is Afraid is best summed up in the form of a limerick. The question is if you should try to see this film. Will it even apply to me? Let me help you decide it's three hours inside somebody else's anxiety. Nice. Thank you. Good rhyme for anxiety. Yeah. Appreciate yeah. it. Uh... I agree with Devendra that it should not have been three hours. <laughs> it really overstays its welcome. Uh, and it really, uh, by the end, and we'll talk about the end in spoilers, but by the end, it is really just jackhammering the same redundant point mm -hmm, mm -hmm. home. And I'm like, why are we still here? And, and, and the end end is like, we stayed around for that? <laughs> That's why we kept staying in this? 
but we'll get to the end and in spoilers. What I want to say is that I thought the first, I don't know, hour of this movie mm-hmm. more, I thought I was going to absolutely love it. Really fun. Yeah. It's incredible. Wild. It's an incredible depiction of someone's inner life projected out into the world. Like the, the way that all of the things in life are scary and the big outdoor world. I mean, there, there is a shot very early on in this movie where uh, Joaquin Phoenix, who plays the main character, Bo, is just walking, we're just kind of panning along through the, the world. And it's just insanity all around. <laughs> and, and I thought, what an amazing way to capture what it's like to be alive in 2023. Like the, the, mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. just depravity that we take for granted all the time, the ambient noise of urban life, the, the way people treat one another and, and react to one another and how there are these little pockets of drama that are happening that are unrelated to the other little pockets, but are, you know, as terrifying and intense and overwhelming in just a little pocket. And he's just walking through all of them. I was like, this is genius. I've never seen a movie express that sort of inner fear and anxiety and sense of disquiet in, in, in an artful way like this. But man, does the movie lose its way. Um, I think th- we go on this wild journey. It's, it's this Alice in Wonderland rabbit hole, meeting all these wild characters. Um, there's a, a prolonged sequence with Nathan Lane and Amy Ryan that I found to be fascinating. There's mm-hmm. moments where I laughed out loud that we'll talk about in spoilers. Um, there's so much. And then it like shoots off into this like weird fable for a little while where he's watching this play. And it's just just, just too much. And then when we ultimately get to the end and it's like, well, it was all for that. That is what it was all for. I, 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 I found myself profoundly disappointed and like, I can't recommend this movie to anybody. If you, if you really want to go through something, this movie will do that for you. If you want to sit in a theater, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. it. That's for sure. If you want to sit in a movie for three hours, I mean, I feel like this is going to be David Chen catnip. If you want to sit in a movie for three hours and be live put in someone's through, misery, <laughs> yeah, be put, yeah, be be miserable by the end of it and watch someone else miserable constantly and and kind of understand why. But it it, it gets to this point of being so oversized and unrelatable. It starts in this very relatable human mm-hmm. place, and it gets to this. You know, they talk about specificity. Is is general like the more specific you are, you the Universe, more general finding universal in the specific. Yes, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. This movie flies in the face of that. <laughs> this movie proves that idiom wrong, because I believe that as this movie gets more and more specific to Bo's problem, it gets more and more outlandish and oversized and and unrelatable ultimately. Mm-hmm. And I think it fails by the end. And I find it like. If this movie was like a brisk two, brisk two hours, brisk, if it, a brisk two if hours, it lost literally an hour of its runtime, yes, and just trimmed so much of the fat that's on it, I think it could be a really powerful experience. Ultimately, it's fatiguing, it's too much, and it it ends in a place where it's like, why did I even waste my time with this? That's mm. my feeling. 
Cut to Dave cackling in the theater like the Nero in Cape Fear. I've already talked about this on the main yeah. show and what we've been watching, but I thought this was a masterpiece. Uh, mm-hmm. I loved the movie. And as you wouldn't you change guys, a thing. Wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't change a thing. I mean, how how rare is the opportunity to be able to step into someone else's anxieties? And it may not be something <laughs> you want to do. It may not be something most people want to do. But this movie uh, is extremely uncomfortable. It's very anxiety pr- producing. Uh, it, it invokes that anxiety. But also, I got to say, for the most part, visually inventive throughout. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are just great concepts introduced throughout the entire movie uh arguably too many but there's you know there's some things that are like you it's introduced and it's like wow like you could spend a whole half a movie on just this one concept yeah for sure that for sure. the movie doesn't even follow up on uh and i i think we all have said in the past we like movies to be more ambitious than not and i think this is definitely one of those movies that's very very ambitious it's a good word for this movie um, yep and uh i can't i can't fault it yes it's not I agree with you. It taxes the idea of finding universality in the specific. And, and I think there's a lot of things, you know, it's a very um, uh, deeply Jewish experience that's being depicted in mm-hmm. this movie. And um, at the same time, there's so much of it that I felt like I relate to or could see in my own life. Um, so I thought it was great. I think it's, but at the same time, I agree with you. I don't know that I have not recommended this to anyone. In fact, like, I think I might have texted you, Jeff, after I saw it. I was like, Bo is Afraid is like one of the most incredible movies I've ever seen. I don't recommend you go see it. You know? <laughs> but we're going to make uh, it a main review, so you have to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Spread the joy. Yeah. 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 So anyway, I, I think those are some good overall thoughts. Like, I loved it. Devinder and Jeff had a mixed experience with it. Uh, but it is certainly provocative. And I will yeah. say this, it has flashes, flashes of utter brilliance. Yeah. I mean, flashes of it. And it, like I said, I just wish we could isolate those and streamline them and make it a more palatable experience overall. Not, not in the sense of like, make it less uncomfortable. I, I was into the uncomfortableness. Yeah. I was into the, the discomfort of being inside this experience with this guy, but it just, it, it meanders and it goes to places. I'm like, what? You know, it, it, yeah, just, well, it just what was yeah. What was the point of that? Hat like, at a certain yeah, point, you know. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's talk about spoilers for Bo is Afraid, starting right now. I thought up an ending for my book. It makes no damn sense. Compels me though. I didn't come here to tell you how this is going to end. When I buy a new book, I always read the last page first. That way, in case I die before I finish, I know how it ends. You can't handle the truth. Inconceivable. I came here to tell you how it's going to begin. I think we all agree that the first 30, 45 minutes is really, really brilliant stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, just some great moments, very clear to understand. You know, Devinder, you said, uh, how is it that Bo came to live in this terrible place? Yeah. And it's like, is he really living in it, though? That's a, that's he... a question I have, you know? Or that's are, true. Is, is what we're seeing just like his mental projection of everything that's going I, on? I mean, yeah. Unclear. Every, everything is up for grabs. Yeah. I thought you were yeah. saying, is he really living? <laughs> is he really living? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But... Uh, there's obviously many elements of Bo's life in the first 30, 45 minutes that are like very relatable. The Dude, idea of like try, trying to get to the airport mm-hmm. when you've sl- overslept that, that like yeah. just that, and then leaving the keys in the thing and then the keys not being yeah. all of that sequence. I was like, Oh, this is brilliant. Yes. Yes. Um, and like being across the street when people are piling into your apartment and like ha- having this nightmare of like, I remember when I was a kid, it's like, 
Yeah. Uh, oh, you can't you can't leave the apartment door. You can't prop it open, or else like who else is gonna get into the, who else is who gonna, yeah. gonna get in the apartment? It's you know, the, like, the, the climax of Mother Aronofsky's Mother is yeah, basically yeah. the opening of this movie. Yeah, of the yeah. insanity there. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I, I, I was very much reminded. Very similar <laughs> movie in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, Darren Aronofsky's movie, but yeah, uh, another Mother movie. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I loved all the stuff with people destroying his apartment. Uh, the the stuff about like leaving the guy leaving notes and like you, you the know, guy leaving, I, I can't get that I, out of my I head. Ask you you make it, it louder. I ask you to turn it down so and you turn it up. Amazing. It's like it's one of them. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Like he's just like what. I'm not. I'm, I'm not even doing. I'm not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. And that shot where the 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 note slides all the yeah. way from mm-hmm. the door all the way oh. to his bed. Ah, oh, incredible. So good. So good. So that's kind of the first chapter of the movie, and it's like really well done. There's the guy suspended overhead, his sweat stripping. It's like, why is that guy even there? We never even have a follow up with that. Well, can we can um, we unpack that at least? I feel like there's a <laughs> lot going on. But what what is that? I, what is just, he trying to say? I, I think. <laughs> I think <laughs> Give me something. I think it's just this idea that like, uh, okay. I, I I don't know if my interpretations are uh-huh, correct, uh-huh. right. But when I watch this movie, I'm like, this guy thinks like me, you know. So when, <laughs> I, when I'm so when I think about what that means, it's just this idea that like, um, you imagine if your if your uh, apartment or house is like these cavernous spaces, you right, imagine right. like at any point there yeah. could be someone up there. He right. came in right hide, after an infil- infiltration. Out. Yeah, just hiding so, out. Just hiding and, out. And so that's all that is. That's all that I think. That's yeah. all that is. Yeah, yeah. I, it's just I, a dude hide No reason. No reason why he would be there. Right. No. Why? There's no explanation for it. Like one of the people who infiltrated stuck around. Like yeah, that, but yeah, fear. Exactly. Yeah. I, I don't know if I have license to say this. <laughs> I'm going to say it anyway. Oh shit! That's My beautiful always, and lovely yeah. wife. Uh-oh. Um, mm. <laughs> Anytime she walks into a hotel room or yeah. even sometimes our house, she will check every single closet behind mm. every shower curtain. Great. Extremely reasonable. She's seen more movies. Yes. For people. Like yeah. She's yeah. looking Extremely for reasonable. people. Yeah. This to me is... I can't help but step through the logic mm-hmm. of what is the expectation that a person... <laughs> is standing in the clock has been waiting for hours in the hopes to just but that is the sort of maybe it's a comedy of errors jeff where they broke in and then you guys came home and they changed their plan and they hit which 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 in my wife's mind happens happens is is likely (laughs) to happen enough that every single time it's worth the energy and worry to anyway i love her with my whole heart She's there to protect you, Jeff. Yeah, but yeah. This, you're, you don't care. Like you're, you're just walking to. It sounds like she's being smarter than Jeff in the to me. Like she's the hero of this situation. Yeah. FY, but go ahead. This, this, I think, is the fundamental thing that this movie is depicting in yeah, that yeah, in that yeah, sequence. Yeah. Is just there is no rational explanation for right. any of it. It is right. just. Wouldn't it be horrible if you're taking a bath completely naked and a person fell on you? That would be awful. You know, and that is what Bo is constantly thinking is like, what is the worst thing that could happen right now? You know, it's true. On, on a slightly more serious note, uh, I think, first of all, I think I just want to, for the record, 100% serious. Everything your wife is doing is reasonable. Yes. I think. And then also uh, on a serious note, like my version of that is after I watched the Matt Reeves movie, Let the Right One In or Let Me In the remake i will check the back seat of my car every single time i get in oh, before i close yeah. the door uh because of how horrifying the kind of back seat uh attack 
was horror movies are a guide for life. You yeah, know, everything absolutely. you need to like prepare yourselves for. Now, you if I ever take movies. a bath, gonna look at the ceiling. Look first, straight up, you know. So, okay. Uh, so part part one of the movie is is really good. Mm-hmm. Then there's like the, the movie like has like multiple chapters, right? Second chapter is with Amy Ryan and Nathan Lane's character, and I love this part too because there's this idea of like when you are being taken in by people or when mm-hmm. you are spending time with people, like there's just this is horrible idea that like you are always imposing on them in some way. Uh, and then there's this amazing moment too, when Amy Ryan writes him the note, that's like, stop being so incriminating. You're like, you this fear that you're like being suspicious in some way. Um, Dude, that, that sequence of, of him staying there, Nathan Lang being like the, the sweetest, creepiest dude. Yeah. My brother constantly yeah. like, making him stay longer but yeah. in the nicest way possible yeah. all of that is so well done and then maybe my favorite moment of the entire movie i don't know i don't know parker posey's pretty good too but maybe my mm-hmm. favorite moment of the of the entire mov- movie is the daughter drinking the blue paint oh my god dude <laughs> horrifying Horror, Horrifying. like <laughs> telling him he's he's a wimp for not drinking the paint with her, and then like it, the the moment of that we cut to Amy Ryan coming in the door and seeing him, and he's holding her limp body with blue all over him and her, yeah. like that yeah. image <laughs> is top tier. I mean, the movie is has these flashes of utter genius, which is why it's so disappointing to me that it doesn't hold together over the long, mm. long term because there are the, like that is one of the most disturbing kind of odd, thrilling moments. If he's like, yeah. what do you even do in that Teenagers situation? Teenagers are terrifying and they're yes. unhinged and they, they are powerful. They can yes. do so many things. Uh, one thing I want to point out uh, throughout this entire movie, even when it starts like bore me and lose me at the end, I did c- constantly think like, man, Joaquin Phoenix is just like game for anything. Like he is he really giving is. his all to this movie. Honestly, just as he did for Joker and for a lot of other movies, and I don't like Joker very much, but at least he he constantly like pushes himself as an actor. Yeah. I think this is yet another example of that. Yeah. Uh, when we were talking about concepts that are introduced, the idea of there's a security camera watching him, and then he starts mm-hmm. like fast forwarding uh, through it. That's like a very chilling idea. And you see, that, like, scenes you see that the end of the movie later in the yeah. movie. You yeah. see the end of the movie, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, then he runs away, uh, and. And the guy chases this, him, like yeah. the guy from Raising Arizona. Once again, we're bringing up Raising Arizona. Yeah, Everyone's yeah. going back and like referencing it in their movies. Meh. Guy chases him. He ends up in the middle of this like commune where they perform plays in the middle of nowhere. I feel like this uh, is where the movie just gets <laughs> off the rails for it's me. It's very synecdoche, New York. Um, I recorded a bonus audio on my Patreon where I talked about how like, uh, I don't know if you guys have seen Enter the Void. Uh, yep. the Gaspar Noe movie. Davinder's yep. seen it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, Jeff, let me. I don't know. If Never this is see be that movie, Jeff. <laughs> Another enough. one. It's Another one. It's not that bad. Um, mm. I, I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna try to explain it to you. But basically, in the movie Enter the Void, the director's cut, uh, the idea behind the movie is like, when you die, your brain releases the same chemicals that it releases when you like take acid or drugs, and so like you go on one last big high, right? And the idea of Enter the Void is you are seeing one person's last high from the first person perspective. And there's a moment in the movie Enter the Void where he like he's like his his soul is leaving his body and he goes around seeing how his death impacts everyone. Right. And then he has his dream of like, maybe I could go back in to my body Mm -hmm. and like 
be reunited with my family and friends and loved ones. And so he starts fantasizing about that. And then at one point, his friend says to him, hey, actually, you can't go back into your body. You were cremated. They burned you, so you can't you can't come back to life again. Sorry, it doesn't work that way. And then like he kind of like snaps out of it. That's how I felt in this movie when Joaquin Phoenix is talking with his children. It's like the most beautiful moment. He's mm-hmm. the acting is amazing. And then he's like, and that's why I never had sex with anyone. And then the children are like, Well, if you didn't have sex with anyone, how are we here? And then it's just, it's just like really like something is here that's like not supposed to be here kind of moment. It's very unsettling. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I like that. I like that, you know, it's upsetting. But I, did it have any impact on you? Like, because this whole like fantasy of like his whole life is like culminating in this moment when he meets his children in the forest, right? Like, how did that strike you at all, Jeff? Oh, man. I mean, th- there are sort of... Um... <laughs> I I was impressed with with the visualization of this experience. Uh, you know, there's it, it uses some sort of uh, the the <laughs> the theatricality of it. Uh-huh. I I appreciate it. Right. I mean, it obviously, is using theater as a metaphor, but it's also theatrical in its presentation and, and using mm-hmm. old age makeup that looks like old age makeup. Right. And and these. Uh, yeah the sort of scene um, uh, props and things that we, there are moments where he's like walking through and, and uh, the, the foliage is changing and all that stuff. I thought all that was actually beautiful, but man, I, I struggled to come to grips with why this was happening and why this was happening now and what we were supposed to get out of it. And um, you know, it, it just, it felt like a detour uh, for the most yeah. part. And mm-hmm, yeah. the entire notion, I mean, the big, idea here that you're referencing that this section of the movie is introducing is that his mother had presented him with this notion that has seared into his psyche and scarred yes. him for life inception yes that you know he, he that having sex will with someone will kill them yeah uh which is a science fiction concept i mean it is far afield you you have like abuse and and even not even as far as abuse but just sort of a dysfunction fam, familial dysfunction and and fa- mother son issues that the movie is eventually gets to but i think this is part and parcel with the problem is that we start at this very relatable place and even if it's over the top and even if it's more intense than anything i've ever personally felt i i have a window into it i have a a way to relate to it because it is it is an exaggeration of, of a key element of something that we can all understand. But then you get to these things that are, that I feel disconnect from that and get into a place of just Looney Tunes, you know, where it's like, well, okay, this is a level of dysfunction that is not relatable to me. And I, I've struggled with understanding why we have gone to this extreme in this movie. When you say this level of function, you mean the idea that the mom would tell him Mm. Wait, that he would die if he had sex? Is that what you're referring to? Well, I think it's more than that. It's not just you'll die if you have sex. It's that you're fa- like you have this magic sperm that your father also had, and you have a weak heart, basically, and you can only take so much. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I, I, I maybe I misinterpreted I it, but it felt it felt mm-hmm. much more um, 
much more it's fantastical like a curse. than that, you know? I, I it, dare yeah. say... Okay, go ahead, Dominion. Mm-hmm. Go, ahead, go ahead. I say it feels like a curse. Like, that's the thing. And also, right. it's definitely... It's like the beginning of the movie. Like, it's an extrapolation of what I think a lot of parents do, of, like, guilting their kids into behaving in certain ways by giving you the most extreme example of something. And Bo just took that fully to heart because his mom literally controlled his universe and would freak out if he, like, tried to leave it. So... That, Absolute, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think in terms of the relatability, I think there's many people out there, not naming any names, who might feel emasculated by their moms, like or have at times mm-hmm. felt emasculated by their moms. And that this is like taking that, as with everything in this movie, taking that idea all the way to the extreme, right? Yeah. Full yeah. um, emasculation. It's not yeah. just like you feel emasculated, but like literally your mom is saying you can't have sex or else you'll die. Um, that's kind of that idea to explore to extreme. Okay, but you're right. I, I do think it's a little bit of a mm-hmm. detour. It felt very mm-hmm. Synecdoche-esque to me, like yeah. exploring the psyche and other imagined lives. So then Bo finally hitchhikes, hitchhikes uh, the rest of his way to uh, his mom's estate. He's just missed the funeral, uh, which is, by the way, is very shameful um to like so, so not shameful. be there you know and i loved all the richard kind voicemails where he <laughs> there's you know it's, it's such, yeah. so perfect to have richard kind like yes dressing you down about being a bad son it's great <laughs> he reconnects with his old girlfriend they have sex and then she dies instantly i love the whole parker posey stuff that was amazing amazing that section was uh, amazing playing mariah carey on spotify on the phone <laughs> like over and over it's just like Dude. oh this is and then she dies and like frozen in place. And the way they do where they, they, they carry her body away while she's frozen, like um, rigor mortis, whatever the uh-huh. heck it was amazing. Like just looked incredible. I'm going I'm to um, have to, once again, let's unpack that. What, what happened there? <laughs> you know, cause it is weird that, okay. I, I could, I could buy the mom being like, okay, yeah, actually this was all a test and I've been watching you the whole time. That makes sense. Um, the mom and her helpers are just like, okay, this frozen dead woman just like put her in the closet or something. Like she expected that to happen. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I guess it's like, hey, um, okay. So uh, mm-hmm. uh, the the more we get into this movie, the more <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. like I'm, I'm just, just asking for a I'm just basic, taking a like, stab in the dark. Thing. Now, right? Yeah, like <laughs> yeah. I'm, I, I have no confidence in these guesses, right? But uh-huh. I think That's it's the just problem like, with Bo is that he did a stab in the dark. If you know mm, what I mean, nice, hey. yeah. But uh, but I think it's just this idea that like okay, uh, the the worst thing that didn't happen mm-hmm. didn't happen, or the, the worst thing that could have happened didn't sure, happen. Sure. But the second worst thing that that happened that could have happened did happen, right? Uh-huh. Which is like she dies mid climax. Was it a setup um, for her to die because she was working with her mom and her mom, possibly. his mom? There you knew, go. His mom knew who been. she was. Could have been. Could have been. Wouldn't okay. surprise me. Wouldn't surprise me if that was. I, I mean, I think the movie has at the, by that point. Just yeah. become so uh, you know yeah. disconnected from any sense of grounded mm-hmm. reality that yeah. But then uh, yeah, th- so then the mom is alive, and at first I thought this was a dream sequence. I was like, yeah. oh yeah. But it's like no, of course it would be an elaborate ruse by his mother to fake <laughs> her own death to see like how he would behave and all the ways in which he would fall short. And also, by the way, she's been recording and listening to all of his therapy sessions this whole time. And well. Stephen McKinley you know? Harrison, um, when he is um, when he is laughing, yeah, his, his only response is, <laughs> yeah, it's so, very, it's very creepy. That's so creepy. It's just so like the the worst betrayal of a therapist. But yeah, this movie gets so much of that. Um, but yeah, uh, then there is a he goes to the attic. There's a penis shaped monster there, as you do. 
you know, and then yeah. it's like then he he so it goes. He leaves the estate and goes well, okay, on a motorboard. Can we, uh, yeah, we Devendra style unpack yeah, that? Yeah. Please? Let's unpack because that a little. Ma- Mom uh, <laughs> says, "Don't go to the attic. Don't go to the attic. You can't see what's up there." Mm-hmm. Was that supposed to be Dad? Dad is the I, penis I shaped penis, the penis dad, monster. The Dad is the penis. Sh- the guy that, chained up is food for the penis monster. Well, first of all, first of all, that Bo has a brother. I think oh, yeah, because yeah. there's a separate dude there. There's a separate Bo's dude there. Brother. Yeah. Again, and the, hat on a hat on a hat at this point. Yeah, it that's feels true. To me. That's true. And then a penis like monster, which like I've read the oral history of uh-huh. how they put that together. Amazing. That was amazing. Yeah. You're welcome. I, I started cackling. <laughs> I, I was at like a 10 p.m. screening and there were two yeah. other people in the theater. But I started cackling <laughs> when that happens. Like, oh, Ariaster, you you madman. Yes. Of course. It's you a dog. penis monster. You dog. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Vanity Fair had a piece called How Bo is Afraid 16-Foot Penis Monster Came to Life. Is that the title? That's the that's the title of Spoilers! the article. Spoilers! Vanity Fair. Yeah, Fanny, it's not how big the penis monster is. It's, it's how true. you use it. It's how you use mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they had to answer all these questions like, is there a face on the monster? Are there teeth? Uh, is it circumcised? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah um, sure. So anyway, Yeah, so, so many important questions. Um... Yeah, so uh, the idea is that your father is, a, is a penis that your mother has kept chained up in the attic mm-hmm. for years, right? Like, mm-hmm. ju- just as she has emasculated you in some ways, so has she kept your father's <laughs> penis in a trap of some kind, right? That's kind of... Sure. All right, I'll buy it. And who can't relate to that? <laughs> <laughs> and then the crazy soldier guy <laughs> comes and kill, kills the father. Yes, yes. Okay. That, that part I don't think really represents... Anything? Nothing. Else. That's just fun. That's, <laughs> that's just, just a little fun. fun. That's just a little fun in games for you. <laughs> so then he goes. He leaves on a motorboat and then enters a cave. And then he he finds he's put on trial by his mom and I think it's Richard Kind acting as the lawyer. Yeah. Where like yeah. they show every footage of him. It's just so redundant at that point. It feels I, to me. I would agree. the 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 trial is a weird place to end it. Yeah, you know, because it's like, do we do we really need this at this point? Haven't we seen him suffer? Right. It, the whole movie has been the trial. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. That, that part I agree with you. Is like we don't really. But at the same time, it's like uh, I do think the ending was really effective, where he like gets capsized and then he drowns or whatever, and then the movie just ends abruptly, like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was super that, effective. That, that, He's like stand there going, "Does anybody? Can anybody help me?" No. All right, no one can help me. That's that's our takeaway. Yep. No yep. one can help you. And then if you didn't have a trial, then you'd probably have ended when he's like wandering away from the estate. And I guess that I don't know. Been I a thought con- the movie was going to end when he gets in the boat and he just yeah. go, going in the boat. I was like, yeah. blackout. Yeah. But when we yeah. have this extended sequence of it just felt so redundant and so it didn't add anything. Like what? Of, oh, I mean, whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a disappointment it's, to me because there's so much in this movie that's brilliant. You know, there's so yeah. much in this movie that's really any, effective. Any, any other brilliant things that come to mind, Jeff, that, that we may or may not have discussed? I mean... Oh, my God. I mean, there's so there's so much <laughs> in this movie that happens. Um, oh, God. The architecture of the house is, like, really interesting. I haven't seen a house like that at the end For, where, like... For for a woman whose child is very anxious, the architecture of that house is a death trap. Just like <laughs> yeah. 15 foot drop offs, no yeah. railings. What right. are you talking about? Who approved this? I do like the scene. I think you alluded to earlier, Devinder, where he goes and he starts looking at his mom's company's timeline, and he realizes yeah. his mom has controlled his entire life. Yes. Basically, yeah. She's he's living in one of her buildings. Yeah, living know. in one of her buildings, eating her medication, eating yeah. her foods, like. 
Uh, it also seems like, like the whole world is eating her medication too. So I don't, okay. Or is that his perception of the world <laughs> is just following his mom? I don't yeah. know. One yeah. of the things I, I love most uh, in movies, in fact, we made a show that utilized this at one point um, years ago. Uh, one of the things I love most in movies is when there's something happening in the foreground and then there's something <laughs> deep mm -hmm. in the background yeah. that's happening that is almost yeah. more interesting than what's happening in the foreground. Yeah. And this movie does that a lot. And there's a number of sequences at the uh, Amy Ryan, Nathan Lane house where like Bo is doing something in the foreground and in the background, Amy Ryan is like trying to resuscitate this guy. And, and, and you know, there's all this chaos. Uh, the dude like oh, yeah, running yeah, around, yeah. Smash, he runs and we pan with him and he runs and leaps <laughs> into the lake and all of that. That to me where the movie where I appreciated the movie most was when it felt like this unhinged, th that feeling we I often have of being in the world and not being able un to understand why the mm -hmm. world is the way it is. Mm -hmm. that I'm just trying to hold on to my little grip on reality while yeah. things that seem totally unhinged, totally out of control are happening all around me. And this movie does that so well. It, it conveys that sense of, you can try to be calm and, and safe and normal, but the world isn't, you know? And, and I love that aspect to it. And it happens not just in the beginning, but throughout the movie where these things were just, just stuff's happening around him and he can't grapple with it. Anyway. Yeah, agreed. Devendra, any other thoughts on Bo is Afraid before we wrap it up here? Uh, I mean, like all Ari Aster movies, I think it's interesting. There's a lot of ideas in here, but I also think like, I don't know, some sort of focus or like be be this long, but also give me something more. Because I think the ultimate the ultimate takeaway here is like he, this man has a very controlling mother who has like basically turned his life into a, a ball of anxiety. And that's how we suffered through it. And it did. Um, we didn't talk much about like his experience with the uh, the girl, you know, on the ship. And I feel like that part just made me feel very sad. Like this is basically a drama reboot of the 40 year old virgin. You know, <laughs> that's that's what it is. And I felt so sad for him. As a person that's like, oh man, he's just he's been pining after this girl for so long, and then you have this picture of this teen girl in a you know in a swimsuit as you're an older man, like that is getting weirder and weirder. Um, <laughs> and then he finally like gets the thing he wanted, and it's just a failure. Like that, that is the true sadness of this movie for me. Yeah, yeah, that's so disturbing too. Where mm -hmm. we see the flashback of her, just like, wait for me, wait for me, yeah. and and he he did, yeah. he did, he did. Uh, Heartbreaking. It reminds me of uh, Synecdoche, honestly. There's a yeah, yeah. spoilers for Synecdoche, but in the movie Synecdoche, uh, the main character falls in love with this woman. They are apart for decades. They reconnect, mm -hmm. and then she literally dies after they sleep together. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this is uh, he just pulled a lot from Synecdoche, huh? <laughs> yeah. I, I you know honestly, if you had just plopped me down in front of this and and said this was a Charlie Kaufman movie, I'd be like, I yeah. buy it. I buy yeah. it. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. It's very similar to like late Kaufman yeah. or late Alex Garland. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. Not, not but, Alex Garland's not as funny as this usually. So let me it's ask you this funny. question though, Dave, yeah. is there any universe where the ending of this movie isn't just supposed to make you mad? Like it, 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 the way you've been in here for three hours and that's mm -hmm. the way it ends. Like it's, it's, it's trolling you, right? That's supposed, you're supposed to feel. Yeah, I felt mildly trolled by it. I felt mildly, mildly trolled. trolled by the end. Yeah. yeah. I feel like that, yeah. that is part of the, like, I think Ari Aster knows what he's doing. And, um, the takeaways mother always wins. 
Mother always, Mother always wins. wins, I guess. No. Well, I, I think one of the most compelling parts of the movie to me is people thinking there is this really awful feeling that the movie conveys of like, this guy, he's just at worst hapless. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. he's just, just just trying to do his thing. He's not like a cruel, malevolent guy. Right. But like at every step of the way, people think he's an asshole. Like yeah. you're not there for your mom. And his mom always assumes the worst thing yeah. about him. And there's just like, Def- he not, thinks not they even think he's an asshole. Yeah, right, right, exactly. And there's yeah. not even a defensiveness. It's just kind of like, yeah, kind of like it's 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 felt as kind of this oppression of like, oh, I wish I could get out from under this. People thinking this way, mm-hmm. um, and then it kind of culminates with like this trial of like, here's every single terrible thing you've done, right? Um, and the crowd, I mean, there 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 is an idea of voyeurism here. There's the idea of we as the audience, as voyeurs watching this, what. What sort of freaks are we to sit for three hours and watch a man get tortured and enjoy it, David Chen? <laughs> Not sure I enjoyed it. Well, some people did. So what is yeah. there a reason? James Chen did. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. did enjoy it. I did. Enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, like, what what kind of satisfying ending would there mm-hmm. have been though? You know, like, um, this guy has had all these anxieties put into him by his mom, or feels all the anxieties around his mom, and it's like. What is, what is the best case scenario? What is the best case scenario? Dying on a tri- dying in front of a trial, like in front of everyone that you know. You know, like mm-hmm. that's that's well, that's. Uh, I mean, I I hate to be pat and, <laughs> you know, obviously this movie is attempting to do something that is that is very subversive and is contrary yeah. to what one expects. Mm-hmm. It is yeah. trying to subvert your expectations, and I respect that. But the you know the where it felt like we were leading with the whole Parker Posey thing is like, mm-hmm. oh, maybe this guy will find a little, yeah, little happiness in life. Mm-hmm. And it's then Parker it just Posey. we all crush on Parker Posey. It's it great. rips yeah. that away for. I mean, it just completely crushes. So the movie does seem to be building to like, oh, the girl he pined after that he waited for, she's actually there. She's actually available. She's gonna. It's gonna. Mm-hmm. We're gonna have this kind of movie ending of him finding a little piece of joy in the world, despite all of the anxiety, despite this crazy adventure that he's been on to get there. That's been harrowing and <laughs> disturbing on a number like of levels. Like Beavis and Butthead, he's finally able to score. It's <laughs> right. really his goal. That's his goal in life. Score, but he, like, yeah. he's, I think he gen- has genuine yes. affection yes. for this person. Yes. And, and, and then the movie's just like, no, fuck you. That's fascinating. That's fascinating, Jeff, because at no point did I think that would end well. Oh yeah. No, this like, is too good. This is, yeah, oh, this like, is at, too good. At this no point well. was I thinking, Oh, this is going to have a happy ending. Well, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. I mean, so, we've established our, our cynicism levels, you know, <laughs> throughout the course of the episode. Yeah. Um, yes. Uh, but I think that's kind of like, that's the joy of the movie. That's the pleasure of the movie is seeing in what ways it will go wrong for him. <laughs> Do you know? I mean, anyway. it's just a different kind of pleasure, I guess. But I, I, can't, I cannot wait for Ari Aster's uncut, longer version of this movie, <laughs> um, subtitled for David Chen. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. what it's going to be for. The person well, asking for it. At the end of the day, it is really impressive that Ari Aster made a movie. So uh, let's wrap it up there. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slash filmcast at gmail.com. Find us on YouTube and Instagram and Twitter at the Filmcast Pod. Find us on TikTok at the Filmcast. This episode's theme music comes comes to you courtesy of Tim McEwen from The Midnight. Check out his new band, Varsity Blue. Uh, our spoiler bumper and weekly plugs music comes from Noah Ross. Our slash film court music comes from Simon Harris. This episode was edited by me, David Chen. Video assistance provided by John Barry and Kurt Mega. Next week on the podcast. Fast 10.
I wonder if Louis will be listening to that episode. I hope so. I, I hope, hope so. so. I mean, I. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I think I think it should have been called. You know, we've discussed this on the podcast. Fast ten your seatbelts. Like, if it's going to be called Fast Ten, <laughs> why not Fast Ten your seatbelts? The biggest missed opportunity in the history of cinema. We already mm. did Fate of the Furious. Yes, as the Fast Ten movie. your seatbelts. Fast on. Ten your seatbelts is a slam dunk. So slam dunk. That's Look 100 million to, in global box office right there. Yeah, or 100 million they lost. That's what I'm saying, left it. on the yeah. table. Indeed. All right, well, until next week, folks, thank you so much for listening to us here on the Filmcast. We'll see you later. Goodbye. Goodbye.